you know, this is Manchester United, Voot Veghorst is being sold, and then you go online and, and it seems to be like, this is a good thing. You're like, it's not. Please stop telling me this is a good thing. It's not. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, broadcasting to you wherever you are in the world. Tell us this morning in the comments where you're watching us, and we'll give you a shout-out. Uh, a big hello to everybody. This is Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, OTB. Colm is here. Colm. Sir, hello. It's the start of the week. Colm's only showing up for a four-day week these, these days. Yeah, I missed you last week there as well. This is our first time seeing each other in so long. There you go. Aw, cute guys. Shane, how are you? Good morning, how are things? Pretty good, pretty good. We're, um, we're, we're... Uh, inching towards some kind of solution to the All-Ireland Football Final which happened on Sunday we don't know what the result is going to be because we don't know whether or not it's going to be another game they're talking if there is another game it'll be a curtain raiser slash uh, I don't know, it'd have to go first wouldn't it you couldn't put it on Mars Brasen was talking about Saturday night yeah before yeah. The this Dublin, coming before Saturday night this coming Saturday night before Dublin Kildare <gasps> The lads are on the piss for so for days. Well, both both Denmark, sides. Denmark were on the piss at the end of the year and then went and won the Euro. So, nineteen eighty two. Do you know what? There were eight like, teams though. Um, well, there's only two in this. Yeah, but they have to go again. Yeah. Psychological trauma of doing. Well, I guess it again. They're, they're both on the piss, so they'll both be hungover playing. So in theory, if they wait till tw- three twenty nine p.m. on Wednesday tomorrow afternoon before yeah, oh, anything happens, and then right 20, 24 more hours of that. Oh. Before the fixtures confirmed Thursday, now two and a half day build up. I don't think there could be twenty four hours. I think Surely as soon not, as they as soon as they put it in, they're like, um, "Croaks, do you want the replay or not? Are you are you are you happy? Because we're going to kick you out mm. according to the rules because you 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 know you were yeah. completely unfair. Just fair integrity of the game is at stake here. Yeah. Do you think that at seven thirty a.m. Tuesday morning that would go right to the wire? No, I think tomorrow. Do you think it'll be decided the, today? I think Glenn will decide today. Um, Surely, that I won't to be too early today, though. I, I like, I, I. So, um, Brawley was on off the ball on News Talk last night before Glenn had issued their statements, mm-hmm. and um, before we knew that the GA weren't going to take any action. Because I've read everybody talking about it this morning. Now, I think, I think John Fogarty says the CCCC could have intervened, but didn't. And they're the ones who are leaving it up to Glenn. But if if Glenn appeal, maybe I'm, I, if I've got it wrong, and if that's somebody else, I apologise to uh, whichever the GA journalist has written that this morning. Um, but that essentially the GA could have been decided not to, and Glenn are like, well, why not? Mm. Uh, that was basically the statement from Glenn. I was like, why not? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you leaving it up to us? The CCCC are Pontius Pilate in this, aren't they? Washing the hands. This is an all Ireland final. Yeah, get involved. This is not like this is not like an under twenty one. Final where both sides are going to go off and have amazing careers and they'll play, play the game. There'll always be that. Oh, I wish we'd had that appeal or we'd won the appeal or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is an all Ireland final. It's never going to happen again. This yeah. is this is a tiny little club who reached an all Ireland final and who, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, have been unfairly treated. And now they're they're being asked. Oh, you need to come and you need to be a bit of an asshole here. Mm-hmm. You need to like be you know bad losers. You need to be sore losers because otherwise you're going to make us make a decision. Mm. Ireland were ridiculed for wanting the Team 33 stuff. They're, they're trying to put Glenn into the, the hole of 
And the GA are set ladder. Yeah. GA are set ladder. Well, Malik, your work now will have a different stance after coming out immediately after the match saying, oh, sure, look, basically. I think regardless, Malik is going to himself wash his hands of this and say, it's the club's decision, it's not mine. Which is fair. But he came out afterwards, and I mean, as far as he's concerned, put to bed, hard luck. And now they're coming back again. he He said on a personal level, I, he, he said he wouldn't speak for the club. He doesn't want to win in that way. He said, on a personal level, uh, that, that's my view, but I don't know what the club are going to do. So if the club take the action, which we think they will, think with a day and a half yeah. to go, with a day and a half to go, do we think O'Rourke comes out and says they were right, do we even though I think they, I disagree with them. But, but, uh, well, if, I, th- I don't think Maliki would disagree that, that it shouldn't have happened. There shouldn't exactly, have been 16 exactly. players. And pitch. so then, you know, his, his job is to manage the club t- senior team, and there's another big like, game left, so I, I don't, I'm not quite sure of the point you're making. Well, just afterwards, from when I was hearing over the weekend, was he was like, "Well, look, happens," and um, but it does we'll move happen. on, it and it doesn't happen. So he he, he it's, so it's only a minor issue. I'm just saying, when he comes out, I'm sure like, he will. Yeah, but uh, you, well, here's the thing: you don't want to look like a bad loser. You yeah. expect that the competition's That's integrity the is going to be managed properly. You expect that the officials will fix whatever situation there, there is, and fairness will be allowed to. Win out. It like, shouldn't be Maliki's opinion. His opinion shouldn't matter anyway. It shouldn't be his decision regardless. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't his decision. It's supposed to be the GA's decision. And they have, as you say, punches piloted it over to Glenn. And I really hope that Glenn aren't somehow browbeaten into just letting it go. Right? Because actually for future, for future teams who get screwed the way they got screwed, it'd be great for them to stand up and say, no, we're, we're going to be the little guy here, but we're actually going to put our hands up and say, we stand against being screwed and if our team get beaten on the field of play next weekend fair enough fair enough right yeah, yeah. well I think I think Joe Broly was making that point that, that 2017 say 2017 Dublin Mayo this happened there's 82,500 reasons to, to immediately call for a for a replay is that why the GA aren't as quick they're like oh, where do we put the game how many tickets will we sell it's a club final Imagine, yeah, that's interesting. Imagine how amazing it would be if Kilmacud came out today and said actually let's have a replay can brilliant. I, can brilliant I, get ahead of it can I, that's a brilliant point here Colm where are Kilmacud in all this? Where are they? In the pub. What do they stand for? What are their values in all this? Because they're the ones who had an extra man on the field of play when the game was in the melting pot in the final seconds. Are they happy to win the All-Ireland under these circumstances? We've heard nothing from them. They're keeping the head down. They're doing the traditional Irish, sure, look, we have the cup. Where are they? What do they stand for? What do they want? Because there's always going to be an asterisk behind this final. There's a very good chance Kilmacud win a replay. Yeah. Paul Mannion in from the start in that game, has another game under his belt. They understand exactly what the challenge is going to be. Glenn played okay. Mm. But actually, you know, the occasion seemed to, to get to them, I would, I would argue, third, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But where are they in all this? Well, what, the, do, the, what do they stand for? Is it, is it a win-at-all-cost mentality? We're going we're gonna to win to the point... On the front of the Irish Times this morning, 16 men. You can see them clearly when the ball is coming in. Like, of course it has a material impact on that final play. And if it didn't, why did you do it? It shouldn't be Kimiko's responsibility any more than it's Glenn's, though. It, it, this should be I know, but it's sorry, the they have to stand for something. Yeah, oh, they oh, have oh, to I, stand I agree for something. What do they, they stand they can, for? They can come out and release a statement and say... We are open to a replay if the CCCC and oh. the GA decide no, that. We, we believe the right thing to do here. Well, they could yeah. do that either. Do you know? It would be very we, admirable we, if they it, did it. It took us a while. We got there in the end. And if they do that, then everybody would be like, okay, fair enough. But their silence, their silence is a sin of omission, I would say. 
Well, I, if I was their PR representative, I would say it'd be a reputational rebirth if he were to come out 100%. and say, actually, not even know if you want to have replay, because yeah. that's what GA have done. If, if you want to do something, but mm. do it. If Kilmacud say, actually, no, this is just wrong, it doesn't feel right, let's go again. And actually, if Kilmacud did lose and Glenn won, they would probably even be better again for the reputation. Yeah. It was like, well, that was honourable. That was really honourable that they did that. Well, they, ha- they have a reputation. They're a South Dublin club. People have their opinions of them regardless. They have, what, 4,800 playing members. Mahara has 4,200 people generally in the village and surrounding areas. So it, we, we joke call them a super club, but they are, let's be honest, a super club in, t- in terms of and resources and finances. They're behaving super. They're not behaving, behaving superbly at the moment. But th- th- they're in the pub celebrating an All-Ireland Club final win, first since 2009. That's what they're doing right now. They had fireworks, you know, the other night. And the point is... The players, the, I mean, this is not down to the players. It's not really down to the management. It's down to the Kilmacud board and, and the, the, the chair people. That, that's, that's who has to release this, the statements on this issue. I don't think they're going to. Um, Glenn, the Glenn statement was, was complete surprise and they were clearly baffled at the, at, the, at the fact that they had to be the ones to push this. And it's remarkable. Like we, we, we said yesterday, we mentioned the the prior incidents in, in Mead football and stuff where this has happened, when an extra sub has been used in a game. It's a similar enough situation. And people are, I'm hearing the argument being used yesterday. Oh, well, should that, that last move, it came to nothing. They weren't going to score a goal anyway. But that's not the point. It's not the point. There was an extra person on the that goal was the, I mean, Sorry, that was, that was the stupidest point made in the whole... The whole there's been a lot of stupid points made in the last 36 <laughs> hours. But, uh, oh, it had no material impact on the outcome. It's like, how do you know? Yeah. What are you, oh, I'm sorry. You're such a seer. You've managed to run the AI on every single potential outcome. Flaky croaks, <laughs> sucking the ball into their own net in the previous year's All-Ireland Final. Yeah. Well, they're not going to do it again. Excuse me. All it needed was a flick into the goal. And can you imagine that ball had come off Darren Mullen, the full forward, the man of the match? What's he doing there? It was, it was off. It was, it was, What's he doing there? I, oh, the winding down the clock, says the manager. Well, on purpose. That looked, suggests purposeful yeah. intent. There looked to be a bit of confusion on Paul Mannion's face uh, when he saw his name on the Well, you can the hear it on the tannoy. Yeah, you can hear it on the tannoy. We can hear it on the And then he looked up. And then clearly Mullen's name is called as well. And there's no movement. And all he's probably thinking is, I mean, we need to stay here. Like, we're about to win the All-Ireland. We can't concede a goal in this moment. Morally. Ridiculous. Morally, what's the right thing to do, right? Sort out all the logistical bullshit afterwards. But morally, what's the right thing to do? And somebody in Croaks needs to stand up and say... Okay, we are where we are. We need to somehow work our way out of this scenario. And the best way to do is to be magnanimous. Like, but leaving it to the, the small club and putting them under all the pressure, yeah. I think that's stereotypical Irish bullshit here. Yeah. This is like, oh, we're going to push somebody down. If this was the other way around. We're I'd not going to take the decision. We're going we're gonna to cut you and cut you and cut you and cut you and cut you and, and see how far we can... I don't know. If Kilmacud had been screwed here and Glenn had 16 players on oh, the pitch, it, it, would be, it would be already decided. The lawyers... So said it would the have lawyers, the lawyers would have immediately kicked into so? gear. Do you think they'll be sorted? Would have been decided yeah, within, really? Probably within three hours of the full-time whistle. Why, why do you think that? Well, they just would have put all the resources into it. They have enough resources. They, they just would have gone, this is ridiculous, make this happen... Glenn, the little old club, being being told to, as I said, they've less population than they have playing members. They've been forced now to, to make a move that they don't want to have to make. Jeez, if they were policy enough for Conor Glass nearly to win them the game, oh. they're policy enough to appeal. Uh, yeah, what's, yeah. what's wrong with the, Glenn? What's, that, what's the difference between Kilmacud and Glenn in terms of their right to feel that the they... The apparatus of uh, social justification. life. That's yeah. what happens in these scenarios. Like, a bunch of people know exactly how this thing works. If this was a school's rugby team, Colin, what do you think would have happened? An injunction yeah. straight away. Well, I think it would have been. Uh, it wouldn't have even led to a debate because the decision probably would the have senior been made. councils. Yeah. The senior councils would have like, 
you know means in motion straight away whatever the collective noun for senior councils is would have arrived uh, on their massive supercars isn't the whole thing here Adam Keating's point in the live YouTube comments if it was any other sport the results would be overturned or there would be a replay is this going back to the overall running of the organisation yeah okay yeah. Yeah. Give us your views. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream at Off the Ball AM on Twitter. You can use the hashtag OTBAM. 7.42 this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Dominic King is standing by. We're going to talk about Everton. Michael Verney is going to join us at five past eight for his thoughts on the uh, latest uh, FUBAR situation in regards to the All-Ireland Club football final. Damien Cassidy is also going to join us in that conversation to give us the Dairy View sports pages with John Duggan at half eight. Uh, MDMA, Michael McCauley and Amy McGee are going to join us at 8.50 this morning and uh, we have a deal or no deal special if we've got time 9.15 and we'll bring you broadly if you missed it last night don't worry stay tuned at half past nine because that is the big show in town the big show in English football at the moment though is of course the fact that um, Everton are on the hunt for a manager and uh, stereotypically they have like a couple of different options one is very different from the other to try and tease us out and tell us a little bit about how we got there I'm delighted to say Dominic King is with us Dominic good morning to you how are you? I'm very well good morning to you how are you? yeah um, uh, Sean Dyche and Marcello Bielsa not the same no no no, they're very much not the same Um, but um, Marcello Bielsa is the the preferred candidate Um, how we'll see how I think there's been some pl- preliminary talks so far, uh, and we'll, we'll see how that progresses. What What do you think is driving? Is Is Sean Dyche a break glass in case of emergency situation? And actually, what they really want is Bielsa. And if Bielsa turns them down, they just want to get out of this season without being relegated. And so Dyche is kind of a fallback. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, the thing is, if they really wanted, um, if if Dyche was the top target, they could do it immediately. Um, he, he's out of work. He, it, it could it could be it could be done by now. Um, I think it's a bit more tricky with Bielsa. Um, so it's 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 as ever with Everton, it's it's going to be. Um, uh, <clears throat> I hope it's not, it doesn't turn into the, some of the sagas that we've we've had in the past in terms of managerial appointments. Um, I remember the, the first time after uh, Ronald Koeman had, had, had been sacked by Fahad Mashiri, and there was a there was a month of, of to and fro and um, and there's just no time for that now. Everton have got to act swiftly and get um, get the man into who they believe is going to get them out of trouble. Um, oh. Is Bielsa not one of those managers who it feels like needs a pre-season to do those grueling double sessions to make sure that the team can do all the running that he wants them to do? Well, um, I mean, I've said in the, in the piece I've written in the in the Daily Mail this morning um, about Bielsa. Uh, I mean, he's he's um, he's had an influence on so many coaches, his, his ideas on football and whatever, and you know, the, the far-reaching, but. I think he's going to have to be a, a, a magician um, to come into Everton and, and get them playing in, in three or four months uh, the way that he, he wants football to be played because um, it's, a, it's a hodgepodge squad that's um, made up of uh, players from seven different managers. Um, <clears throat> it's um, the short of money they need, they need um, new new blood to come in and, and revive them and it really is a, a, a terribly difficult situation. Uh, I mean, the, the the end of the Lampard tenure was, was I guess, something that Everton fans have come to expect in recent years, Dominic, and, and the, the hatred there seems to be towards the board. It wasn't towards Frank Lampard right to the bitter end. Even interesting to watch Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football last night where he says, this is the worst run club in England. 
and I know Jimmy was a was a, was a fan of, of Everton in his in his school days. But this seems to be directed very much not towards the managers. It's it's definitely towards the board. Oh, it's it, it, yeah. That, that's exactly where the anger's going. Um, I, th- I think the, the the very fact that um, there wasn't any banners, there wasn't any chanting against Frank Lampard. There was just a sort of uh, I don't know whether there was a, a video on social media <clears throat> over the weekend of um, some fans speaking to um, Frank Lampard before he got, he went to the London Stadium. I think it was at the, the, the team hotel, and they were. The lads who the lads who travel around everywhere to watch Everton, and they were saying, you know, this isn't your fault. He's 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 coming at the end of a, a an unbelievable cycle of of change and um, disruption. Um, he had one transfer window. He lost he lost his best player last summer. wasn't wasn't replaced. Um, he wanted to. Say, he, he he's looked for for signings to come in um, it, it, straight away in January. It wasn't possible to do. He wanted to sign. Danny Ings was very, very keen on doing that. Never got, never got over the line uh, because Everton could only do a loan, and Aston Villa wanted to do, do a straight sale. So there's been a, a, a mitigate a lot of mitigating circumstances, and that, that means Frank isn't absolutely, totally to blame for this. Um, yes, he's he, he, he's well aware of the situation, and he's been in football long enough to know that if you um, you have a run of results like this, uh, it's very hard for a manager to survive and. You know there have been some mistakes along the way. It's not. But, it's not even. It's, it's, it's far deeper. Yeah, it's it's far, it's far deeper than just the manager. Absolutely far deeper. It's not just though the the number of managers there have been under the Farhad Mashiri reign since what 2016. Three directors directors of football as well, which which hints at something deeper. That is the problem. That that clearly leaves you wondering. What, like, where does the club base itself? They clearly haven't. They don't have a platform or a basis or a, or a, a common denominator that they can run with every season. It seems to be they're they're almost flailing, and Mashiri seems to be the common denominator in this one. Yeah, he is. He's made he's made the decision on this. He's made the decision to um, to sack Frank. He's um, he's going to be responsible for appointing the next appointing the next manager. Um, <clears throat> you know, we go back over the seven years, and there's there's been. Ronald Koeman, who was brought in to be the Hollywood manager in the, in the Northwest for Everton to go alongside Klopp, Guardiola, Mourinho, that was that was the dream. And they spent an awful lot of money in his his um, first twelve months to to try and get the right players in to to get European football straight away, and, and, and they accomplished that. They got into the Europa League, but that turned out to be a, um, a disaster uh, in terms of what they did in the group stage against um, Atalanta and, and Lyon. Um, six, seven years ago now. Uh, and then they went to the the young up-and-coming manager, after, Marco Silva, after Sam Allardyce. They went for experience in Carlo Ancelotti and Rafa Benitez. They've gone for another young up-and-coming English manager in Frank. There's no... It, there's, it, 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 it's, it's chopping and changing from one thing to another. And as I said, the comparison that I keep um, is in my mind with Everton at the minute is, is Sunderland and Aston Villa who, who went through periods of Switching their managers at, 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 with great haste, bringing in players who weren't of the the right um, necessary calibre, and both of them were rele- eventually relegated. And you know, Everton have got it all to do in the second half of the season to get themselves out of this position. How soon do you actually expect a decision to be made? I, I know you make the point that it's important to get it done before the Arsenal game, but getting the right decision. If Bielsa is the right man for the job and actually could save them this season, if they have to wait an extra week to get that, fair enough. But equally, yeah, at the same time, the, the clock is ticking. So it's um, 
It's difficult. No, it, it, it is difficult. Um, and there's no, <clears throat> there's no um, indication yet that the the Bielsa would be. Um, you know, ready to jump on board. I mean, this is it, 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 him being Everton's preferred target, and him wanting the job are two, are two very um, separate things. Um, if he can be convinced, then they have to get the done quick deal done quickly because, um, as I said, it's it's where are we now? Eleven eleven days away from when they play um, Arsenal. Every every session is going to be vital. Every session is going to be crucial in terms of um, getting his um, methods and ideology across to the players. Um, also, you have to factor in that the transfer window closes this time next week. Mm. Um, he's going to want to bring players in. So there's so many things that are, that, that are adding up um, against them that they've, they've got to get right. Um, but, you know, this is the time for um, decisiveness and to make um, strong decisions. That the point was made on, the, on on Sky last night, Dominic, about the, the, the board statement recently where they said they couldn't attend a game for safety reasons. And Jimmy Carragher was making the point, you know, that that didn't paint the Everton support in, in a great light, uh, that maybe that in its, in and of itself was a bad move by the board. Like Gary Neville making the point that maybe, look, for safety reasons, they couldn't be there. But the fact that even, you know, Mashiri attends a game at the weekend and it, it turns out to be Frank Lampard's last in charge, there just seems to be an, an overriding sense of, of disconnect between the fans and, 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 the, and the club generally at the moment. That's a brilliant word. That, that's a brilliant word, disconnect, um, because that's exactly what it is. Um, I was at Goodison last week. Um, it's important to stress, and did at the time, that the the protest was peaceful. Then that the there was no dissent. There was no sense of um, you know trouble or uh, anything spilling over or, or getting um, rancorous from the, from those who stayed behind. It was just a, vo- um, a passionate voice of frustration. Um, now I'm not taking the the threats or anything against the boards um, lightly because I, I'm aware of some of the things that have, have happened, um, not just recently, o- over over years. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely not treating um, treating that um, lightly at all. Um, but it's it's always um, the the few that, that, that cause the problems for many, and the the, the vast majority of Everton, and the vast majority of Evertonians. A fair-minded people, honest, would recoil at the idea of, of of doing any physical harm to anybody or or issuing threats or anything like that. The passionate people, but they they know what's right and what's wrong. There's idiots in every group, every set of fan base across the world, um, and we can't let the idiots um, taint taint the um, the reputation of, of of the many. Unfortunately, um, I, I, I the idea that all Everton fans have been tarnished by this um, by this statement I, I find awful um, and it's just not on Dominic do you think that uh, in world football the job is looked on as a good job at the moment or is there definitely uh, a reticence to get involved with the current board and ownership structure I guess if you're a Wayne Rooney figure for example and obviously he has a job at the moment and we've, we've had this conversation if I was Rooney taking over I want a full pre-season and I want a transfer window and several transfer windows and some guarantee that I'm not going to trying to ride in to, to rescue the situation as it is at the moment and he doesn't seem to be being linked with the job anyway so but I can see why other good managers would be like well, I'm just going to wait and see what happens there if, if the ownership stays around if Bill Kenwright's still around um, so you know they're fishing in a smaller pond what's your sense about the future direction of the ownership and, and how 
long they're going to be around? Oh, uh, again, um, a, a good, a great question because um, he's so uh, um, mysterious, Farhad Mashiri, that you you wouldn't know. He's he's made it clear that he would welcome um, investments, um, you know, to to help with the the build of the new stadium to to give Everton the resources they need to be competitive. Um, he's plumped an awful lot of money in. You can't say that that about him. He's he hasn't been shy in putting his hand in his pocket. Um, um, what the future holds with him, what is, what is, his visions for the club are, other than other than taking the taking Everton to the new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock in um, two seasons time or for the, in, in the season after next. Um, <clears throat> we don't know uh, what, what what he's thinking. Um, but Everton Everton should be a job that every manager in every hungry manager in football strives to be at. Brilliant fan base, passionate. If you, if if, if a manager uh, could come in and make Everton a force again and bring um, success, they'd be they'd be almost deified. Everton fans are aching for a team to be proud of, um, and I would think if you were if you were ambitious and you um, and you um, knew your football, it would be it would be a wonderful job to take in the in the right circumstances. But unfortunately for Everton. In the last last five six years, the circumstances just haven't been right for anyone. You've been writing the Daily Mail, Dominic, about uh, conversations that apparently have happened between Lampard and Mashiri since uh, since the West Ham game at the weekend. Um, even yeah. to the point that that has Mashiri been been discussing recruitment with Lampard and getting his thoughts? Which you know, if he's if he's getting his last little bits and, and thoughts from Lampard before he, he kicks them out the door, seems uh, for want of a better word, a bit slimy. <laughs> well, um, well, I'll just tell you what I've, what I've reported. It's uh, yeah, I mean um, the discussions that were going on, going on over the weekend involved um, them, them asking Frank what what he um, thought was needed, where needed strengthening before the window closes, and um, you know that that's what's created the state of flux. Uh, you know, on, on Sunday night, the reports about him and being on the brink, um, which which you know, as I said, Frank knows the situation in football in terms of. Um, you know, if you have a run of results like that, then there's nothing um, you, you can do as a manager. There's only it only heads one way. But it was it's um, it, it was a very sort of um, disparate and 48 hours, I think. And I just feel sort of feel so um, sorry for Frank that he's been put through a situation like this. Uh, in terms of his ability as a football manager, though, he does have to take some responsibility for what's yeah. happened because he had the off season to build and and. You know, create a culture, and there's definitely some decisions that he's made recently where, off the back of a good performance, he changed the team, and the team wouldn't be as good. So it, it's not like he's blameless. No, no, I'm, 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 I want to make that. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that he, he's, he is absolutely um, absolved of blame because uh, you know, he, if you are a manager and you have that, that that's who he can results. And of course, then of course, it comes to um, comes back to you. Um, he has he has made mistakes. I think he would he would recognise that in some games. Um, but you talk about the um, pre-season and whatever. Um, one window, one, one window at the end of uh, one one window at the end of a season uh, that they only just uh, about escaped relegation um, and a truncated pre-season as well. Given the World Cup and one transfer window was never going to be enough to solve the problems that, that he inherited. Not a chance. It was the same with Rafa Benitez. What was Rafa Benitez going to do in, 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 with one transfer window and two million pounds to 
two million pounds to, to try and um, turn things around. It's impossible. Um, Whatever having to do is um, sell the best players to, to bring people in. That's what happened with Luca Dean last year. To, they sold him to bring two fullbacks in in, in the, the January window. They sold Richarlison to, um, to bring players in in the summer. Uh, I dare say something like that might happen again before the before this window closes. So if you if you're constantly selling your best players and not bringing in players of a of a either comparable quality or better quality, then you're only going to go one way as a team, and that's what's happened. One last thing I did want to touch on um, in your own piece, you talked about uh, Onana saying that Lampard is still the best player in training. That's a bit of a double-edged sword. You know, there's a bang of Glenn Hoddle and bang of even Roy Keane not being happy no, to, you know. No, no, I, I, I'll be clear about that. That, that, was, that was my words. It wasn't, um, Onana said, said that about him. I just thought it was, it was, Frank wasn't like sort of, the, um, it didn't have that kind of attitude like okay. uh, Hoddle or anything like that. It was just, it was just striking the fact that Lampard was such a, an amazing player, um, and you could still see that at forty-four that he had that he had everything. Um, um, what I mean is that the fact that he, should, you know, the manager shouldn't be the best player in football in in, in a football squad, should he? he should, no, he should be. There should be players coming through that you know that can they can do more than him. I do um, wonder was but, he ever tempted to register and pick himself? <laughs> well, there's an irony, isn't it, that they've not, not only lost the best, um, they've lost the manager, but they've also lost the best midfielder. <laughs> Dominic, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million for Lovely. the time for us. Lovely Cheers. That's uh, Dominic you. King of the Daily Mail. giving us his thoughts on the situation at uh, Everton. It's eight o'clock this morning. It's a bit mad when he, when he just talks to Everton, even with, when they got rid of Richarlison. Um, and I, I know they had to do that for financial re- fair play reasons and stuff. But like they brought in Neil Mopay and Dwight McNeil, who've been crap. And then you have Dominic Averloon has been injury played. So the recruitment. Not all the blame can go on, on no, necessarily, but the, the manager has to take some, and that's why he's gone. Could have sold Calvert Lewin. Yeah, for instead, sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. and. Um, uh, look, there's, there's been loads of really bad decisions that are made. It will be interesting to see what Lampard does next and whether or not he just... Because, like, you do forget sometimes these guys are really, 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 really rich. Yeah. And they don't have to work. No, they can take a year or he two can, out. He can just go and play golf and be on TV. Like John Dyche has done. He hasn't been in, in the game for a while, so he can afford it. Hopefully Seamus Coleman but comes out of it. John Dyche is nowhere near as rich as Frank Lampard. No, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Lampard has to really, really, really want to work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. money that they guys... They, so he was on 80 grand, 100 grand a week for 10 years. That's a lot of cash. It's not bad. It's okay. You know. Um, anyway, I like Lampard. That's the thing. And if he decides to retire and be a pundit, he'll get work nonstop. Yeah. Let him at it. I, I think he'll take a bit of time off and then come back into the game as a manager. I think he'll do the, the whole Jose Mourinho thing. Do the rounds on the media and then come back in. Uh, but yeah, best luck to him. I, th- I think a lot of people are similar lines. They, they like Lampard as a person. Um, but it's yeah, it's kind of sad to see things happen to Everton because you, they're one of the Premier League big clubs that you're like, well, they're always there. So it would be bizarre to see them go back. I've seen it. People suggest, oh, maybe it would be good for them if they went down to the championship for a season and, uh, you know, they can kind of restart. But I don't think that would be a good thing for, for Everton at all. Uh, they need to stay in the top tier and that's why they're they're making the move now, changing the manager. Uh, right. If you've got a view on the various stories that we're covering this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or you can leave a comment on YouTube or you can get us on Twitter as well. And just trying to... Uh, makes sense of some of the comments that are coming through. Mm. Um, it's all Cody. There was a good one there. Uh, not if it was any other sport. If it wasn't a powerhouse with resources, their opponent can't match. It would have already been fixed for a rematch. Yeah. All Kilmacud need to do is issue a statement acknowledging they would be happy to have a replay. Do you think that's an under? An, uh, 
we we certainly haven't spoken a lot about this. Yeah. But where's their leadership? What are, what are they saying about the situation here? Because like. You know, granted, you know, in years to come, obviously, uh, people will be like, oh, was there, was there something about that? And this will fade. Of course it will. But at the same time, you'll know mm-hmm. that you had 16 men on the field of play for the final deciding play of the game. Yeah. You'll always know that. Won't feel good. I don't think. I, I, maybe it does feel good. Maybe that's the difference in life. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. like, we did what we needed to do. We got out there and we won because we're winners. This is a meant as a pointed thing towards Kilmacud. I don't think the Den players would feel good if it was the other way around. I don't think and so. I, and I, I, I think they would have come out and said, well, And I can't see to. the Kilmacud players feeling delighted no. about this. They can't be. Like, they didn't work all year to have an extra man on the field to play yeah. at the end. They didn't. 100%. Um, Shawnee Riley's made a comment. Only fair outcome is a replay in Celtic Park and Glenn get Damien Comer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah. I mean... It's got people exercised. Jesus, when you see a, st- a GA story on the front and back pages of the papers for, the, for two days well, after it, the it, final. It's, it's very interesting because it didn't make the front of the Irish Times sports section yesterday, but it's on the front of the whole paper today. So obviously, uh, the whole of Kilmacud are buying papers today. Check what, what What's this about? What is this about? That's the demographic, is it? The Kilmacud demographic? The Irish Times? Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, look... It's I, like honestly, it's David Goliath stuff. We've, we've got a lot of, of people who I think are, are Kilmacud fans going, "Oh, this isn't a big story. It's the line, it's the linesman's fault." Um, but like, do you honestly believe that? Like deep down, do you honestly feel like the right thing to do is to take the cup, take the gold medals this year, and go, "Yes, we got the gold medals," mm. you know? Or, or because I don't know, you heard that story about the silver medals at halftime. Yeah, the the old Joe Kernan trick, I believe mm-hmm. that. Um, that they were pulling. Everybody knows the Joe Kernan trick, right? Well, yeah, all of the it's what, famous. O two All Ireland yeah. team talk. Like the um, I know Robbie Brennan talked about having the Kilku photo on his on his phone uh, of Kilku lifting the trophy. I'm sure he, he he will or or will have already have changed it to um, Shane Cunningham, the Kilmacud players lifting the trophy. But every time he opens his phone now, he's going to be looking at that going sixteen men, yeah, sixteen and a half. It's a it's a reminder every time he opens his phone. Every time he gets a call, he's going to be like, oh Jesus, that's a. Uh, that's the final there was so much controversy about. This controversy is not going to go in. in, in like, if it comes tomorrow and, and Glenn turn around and say, we're not taking this any further, it, it doesn't end there. Maybe it ends there in terms of process and GEA process, I, I, but I, look, controversy's Col- not going to end. Colin Keyes is making a great point, right? Like, a replay would safeguard against the future abuse of the rule. Yeah. Like, you said it yesterday. What, what if a team... What, I'm sorry, but if I... If, if, like, right. If you're... If... if uh, if you're not if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That was we got a, a lot of texts like that yesterday, and a lot of tweets like, and so that's how this all works. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to be cheating against each other because you know this is sport, and we're supposed to just kill each other. That's all we stand for, just killing each other. Yeah, I'm gonna eat your bloody corpse here, Shane. Please like, don't. I mean, is it really? Is that is that? People. So, like, is it going to be acceptable then? One of the rules is that uh, we'll find you something. Oh, actually, we won't do anything. I don't really understand the whole not doing anything. Is, that, is it because it deliberately wasn't in the referee's report? I thought, I thought it was three solutions. Fine, kick them out. But only, only if you... only. Why don't the CCCC just stand in and go, we've yeah. decided what the story is here because we're in charge. We're in charge. We know what we're doing and we're in charge. Mm. Maybe they... Maybe, I don't know. It, the equivalent is... So say... People are saying, oh, you know, it's only one move. It's, it's one move towards the end of the game. Say at the end of a soccer match. Do you know when, when a team are looking for a goal and yeah. they send the keeper up? Yeah. They send the keeper up. So they have, they have 11 men in the box. 
but the opposition of 12 men they just throw someone onto the, onto the line of course it is an impact it doesn't matter if it's one move or if it's 5 seconds or 10 seconds but again if you're like if we've decided that win at all costs is all we stand for then every team in the country is going to be like I'm going to, I'm going to send an extra man on and let, let them count afterwards and see what the crack is if, the, if, this doesn't, if this doesn't go to a replay then I hope when I'm in Casablanca next Saturday night watching Monaghan and Armagh in Division 1 of the Alliance Football Leagues if Monaghan are say 2 points down why aren't the they sending an extra man on I would, like, I would like to think I will see Vinnie Corey send it on a 16th man because, because it's in the rules obviously 5 minutes past 8 this morning OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today we are continuing with this story in a moment uh, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green store near you with new Braeburn locations popping up every month visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience after the break we'll continue with the story um, and uh, we can see by your comments coming in this morning, you want more of it. We're going to be joined in the line by the Irish Independents, Michael Verney, and Derry's 1993 All-Ireland winner, Damien Cassidy. First, Miguel Delaney and Jonathan Wilson joined Richie last night talking about Arsenal, who really do look like becoming champions. We're going to crown them, we're going to anoint them. <laughs> Nothing possibly, there's no chance of Devon Locke situation. Let's go, back after this. That last 20 minutes was incredibly impressive from a performance point of view. And, and so there's huge amounts of positives to be taken from that. The fact they win the game is incredibly important and impressive because it maintains that lead. I mean, you know, if, I know they've got a game in hand, but if a lead had been down to three points, suddenly you're thinking, oh, City are only within, yeah, they win one win of them, and then maybe they get a bit twitchy. Um, and Ketia getting the winner in the way he does, suddenly you know, he sort of becomes cast almost as a, as a Christopher Ray figure or a, a Martin Hayes figure or a Federico Makeda figure as the slightly unlikely figure who, who gets crucial goals along the way. Uh, and you know, imagine the, the the reaction to him had he not got that goal, and everybody remembered the the, the save that was made from by De Gea after eighty four minutes, and then it'd be oh, like against Newcastle, and Kenya has the late chance to win the game, and he's missed it, and there's four points left on the table, and how critical could that be? So all of those things are, uh, are, are hugely important. The thing that just slightly concerns me with Arsenal, uh, and and maybe this is to do with us as much as it is to do with with Arsenal itself is that it almost feels like we're in the running already and every every point, every match is being treated as as, as crucial as, as as this great, great test. There's still half a season to go. And, and I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. I, I, I do worry that because of the World Cup and the timing of it and the fact we're sort of three games behind where we'd normally be at this stage of a year, that the people have gone slightly early with, with, with the run-in. But having said that, the, yeah, five points clear with a game in hand. They're in a great position. And if they replicate their performance from the first half of the season, second half of the season, they will win the title. The maximum points City can get is 99. They've got 50 at the halfway stage. So yeah, in that sense, they, they can start ticking the games off. 17 wins, they win the title. OTB. Nine minutes past eight. Michael Verney is with us. Michael, good morning to you. How are you? Gents, how are you? Yeah. Uh, this is a remarkable story, even by the multitude of remarkable stories that we have got over the years. It's an All-Ireland final. It's not like, you know, this isn't um, this isn't a run-of-the-mill Leinster Championship match between two Division 3 or Division 4 sides that ultimately is a little bit of a storm in a teacup. But this is kind of brings together so many of the different aspects of GAA life. It's a tiny, tiny little parish town against the might of Kilmacook Croaks and the GA have not intervened for whatever reason what's your understanding of why the CCCC didn't intervene were they not allowed to 
Uh, a governing, like a governing body, not being allowed to intervene or make a statement. I that's a, I think that's fairly fanciful to think that they couldn't make a statement on it. It's I, I find it I, I find it absolutely unbelievable that they've just, you know, they've hopped the ball almost between Glenn and Kilmacud now and basically abdicated all responsibility. I can't. I find it. Uh, bemusing really and now it's left to like you're talking about you know Kilmacud potentially making a statement and the Glen have made a made a statement last night and are going to make you know some sort of a judgment or a ruling or they're going to make a decision in the next couple of days but like take that away from the clubs take that responsibility away from the clubs make a decision yourselves uh say that there's been a 16 player on the pitch and that you're going to make a decision be it replay be it forfeit be it fine and take the responsibility away from Kilmacud Crooks. Like Kilmacud Crooks are almost been, you know, painted as the the villains in the piece now. But to me, there were sixteen players on the pitch. But it's very, very simple and very, very basic. It happens in underage games. It happens in uh, you know college games, Fitzgibbon games. Player comes in, player comes off. And I'm talking about games where there's no fourth official, where there's you know where there's no. Um, you know, referees, coordinators and this type of thing at the game. Player comes in, player comes off. Player comes in, does not come in until the player comes off. There's no way in an All-Ireland club final that something like this should have been allowed to happen by the GA, first and foremost. Like, I don't even know, like, does Darren Mullen know that he's been substituted? It's the last minute of an All-Ireland club final. The last thing he's thinking about is whether I'm coming off the field or not. The only thing he's thinking of is whether I can have an impact in this final play. And basically, the play should be stopped until Darren Mullen exits the pitch, the middle of the pitch, and then player comes in. And to me, this is more, this is a, a problem that the GA have created. It's not a problem that Glenn have created, and it's not a problem that Kilmico Crokes have created. We approached the uh, GA press office yesterday, Mick, and, and like the response I was getting was essentially that because it's all still very much up in the air, they have a limit on what they can say, and and, and list, clearly nothing they could say at that at that point. That's what that was their argument. But it strikes me that the silence is screaming now. Like it, it, the GA need to come out and say something. Yeah, I I, I can't believe they haven't said. The first thing that, that I only saw the games back uh, on Monday morning because I was working elsewhere on Sunday, and the first thing that's coming into my head here is you know are the GA going to admit any wrongdoing in this? Like to me, I I. Personally, do not think Kilmacud Crooks have done anything wrong or, in, or intentionally done anything wrong. I, I just, I, I'm not sure, right? Because they are, uh, there is a quote from in, in various papers about how they were trying to kill the clock at the end. You know, at the end of the game, you're trying to kill the clock. And like, that would, in, uh, that would imply, and that's, that's uh, attributed to the, the manager, that would imply some sense of knowing that like you're taking your time to get off the field. Do you know? And it's actually their job to know if they have 15 men on the field as much as it is the official. So I, I don't think they're blameless in this, but I, I understand your point of view. And, uh, you know, we can toss that up. Certainly the main culprit is the GEA's organisation in saying, OK, like if Malachi O'Rourke is on the sidelines saying, hang on, there's 16 men on the pitch, we get to take that 45 again. If they'd taken the 45 again, everybody would have gone, you know, no big deal, game over. Whatever happens, happens. Maybe they score a last, famous last-minute goal and Kilmacoder broke it again. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe it goes wide. Who knows, right? But um, I, I do think that Kilmacoder have some blame in this and that's why I'm saying they should come out and say and, and be the leaders in all this. Like, you know, are they? Are they? where's their leadership? I, I think- uh, uh, hold on, Roger. The leaders in this 
are the GAA. A hundred percent. You know what I mean? Right. You know, but, the, 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 it's, I don't think the onus is on Kilmacud to say anything. It's not been smart as well. Kilmacud, who have just won an All Ireland club title and are, I'm sure, absolutely, you know, celebrating the bejesus out of it the last 24 hours or whatever it is. Obviously, there's a bit of a, I wouldn't say there's a stain on it now, but there's a distinct likelihood that if Glenn appeal, that a replay will will be made. But I don't think it, the onus should be left on Glenn to make that decision. And again, that probably comes down to, I don't know, is that an emotive decision or is that a ruthless decision? To say, is it an emotive decision to say, listen, we had a chance at the end, the, the extra player on the pitch didn't, ha- didn't, in our eyes, have any impact on the play, we lost the game fair and square? Or is that a ruthless decision to say, Kilmacud had 16 players on the pitch, uh, we're appealing and we're probably going to get a replay. So a lot will come down to the individuals involved here as well and the feelings that they have on it. If it's someone that's very cold and calculated, uh, they might be like, no, they broke the rules, we're looking for a replay. If it's someone who's like more emotive and wants to take their beating, as is always said in the GEA, they will probably uh, not appeal and they will not get a replay. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would tend to agree that um, with Column Key's piece today in, in your paper that a replay would safeguard against the future abuse of the rule. I, we, we actually, we've Damien Cassidy on the line with us this morning as well, uh, an All-Ireland winner in his time with Derry. Uh, Damien, we just wanted to get a sense of what Derry people think about this. Good morning to you. How are you? Uh, not too bad, thanks very much. Yeah, the, um, it's a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. This, you know, so quick after the game, there was... Uh, uh, that you know, typical GA thing where you know the best team won, leave it on the field and all of that type of stuff, you know. But I, I think over the past uh, uh, forty, you know, thirty six hours now, really, we're, we're talking about are, are slightly more the, the the shift is changing to. Uh, I think it's changing to a position where people realise now that Glenn have a, a, a very le- legitimate case. Um, I think it's clear cut. Uh, you know, the 17 players, Manion City East, and I think it's very simple, it was a really technical thing, and he wasn't involved in the play, but the, uh, the, the extra player definitely had an impact on the, the resulting uh, play that occurred. Um, and I think there's a shift moving towards where uh, Glenn, uh, Glenn should possibly consider taking that appeal. I know what we're saying, Damien. The onus shouldn't be on Glenn in the first place to have to make this decision. But oh, say, say this was say this was Balahi, say it was your Balahi team, and the exact same thing had happened. Would you be protesting this result? Well, interestingly, I had a, I had a, a conversation with a, a Glenn, uh, prominent Glenn uh, club member yesterday, and uh, I suppose what I as I said earlier on, I shifted, you know, and. Uh, it's not very often you get to an All Ireland final, um, and you know, as Glenn, we were, we would have a good history ourselves in the terms of the competition, and yet we've only appeared in two finals. Um, and once in a lifetime, a group of players come along. That club was putting massive uh, emphasis on underage coaching. Uh, they came from an intermediate position at the senior for for quite a while, and just last year they won their first club title in the history of the club. So these opportunities only come along once in a lifetime. They literally are once in a lifetime opportunities. And they have a, le- a legitimate position to challenge that due to the incompetence of the GAA. And uh, my view is whenever you get to some something like that at that stage, you just have to grab with both hands and hang on for, for, for pure, pure life. So my view will be, I think, that uh, I think we'll, we'll be appealing it. Now, the interesting comment that was made by that official was, uh, 
we 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 appeal it, and then we'll make a decision about whether we replay it or not. Right, because they they're fairly confident they're going to win, and whether or not they like, I, I, I here's the thing, right? That would be terrible, I think, because I think that they've. A, they should replay. I think everybody thinks a replay will be fair at this stage on, on both teams, given that um, Kilmacud were were winning the game. But I, I, I definitely agree with you, Damien. I think there's a difference here. If, if Kilmacud had used an extra sub, right, and it had been seven subs instead of six, people might be able to think, OK, well, that's a, an administrative error and that's probably the responsibility of the, the linesman. And, you know, then it becomes a bit of a grey area and you leave that on the field to play. But this is an extra man. This isn't like... This isn't just like a, a a mistake was made. Like you're you're actually you have an extra yeah. man on the field of play at a key play. Literally, the opportunity for Kilmacud to have the same heartbreak that they've had. It's in we saw in the semi final exact same thing happened where the ball is floating in under the crossbar, and it requires somebody to save it. I think you know it's it's too yeah. meaningful to let go. Yeah, look, and I've, I've, I mean, I seen I seen the Ulster Club game with Neil Connell and Cargan, and and Cargan got a goal literally in the the last uh, literally the last. 10 seconds of the game uh, to, to, to force a draw and then they went and won the game an extra time and you know an extra player in that box and that congested space changes the whole entire dynamic of what can happen and you know that's exactly what happened regardless of the length of time that's irrelevant the play is still there the opportunity is still there and if space is denied and to the advantage of the opposition that's a clear breach in my view Damien I don't want people to think I have a tinfoil hat on saying this because I don't but the, the phrase anti-Northern bias comes up quite often um, <laughs> it, when it comes to the GEA. If this was the other way around, if this had been Kilmacud that had the 60, or the uh, Glenn that had the 16 men on the pitch, do you think it would have been resolved quicker and uh, more ruthlessly? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to know, to be, to be honest with you. Um, it really is a hard one to know. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing I suppose that you can say is that we do have a wee bit of a history of, of shooting ourselves in the foot. And uh, this is an opportunity that they had to, to make it nice and clean, take away the controversy, be in control uh, of the, the association and outcomes, and that's their responsibility to do that. And and I just think it's so crummy to pass it back to Glenn. I genuinely do. I just think it is absolutely just just not not just not a right thing, you know. Uh, as an employer, Whenever you have things going on in your workplace, it's clear cut. You have the responsibility of the employer to deal with it. Uh, you can't bury your head in the sand and hope it will go away. Generally, it escalates and becomes a big problem. And this is now what we're seeing. Just on Damien's point there, it's so watery. Such a watery non-reaction from the GA in, a, in an organisation where we teach people to you know, take responsibility both on and off the pitch for their lives, for their play, for you know, their skills, for strength and condition, for everything else. And the GA looked to have completely abdicated responsibility now and just thrown the ball over to Glenn. Yeah, it it doesn't uh, doesn't smell nice to me at all. It speaks to an absence of leadership, really, Michael, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You'd ha- well, you'd have to say it because they could have just come out Monday morning with some sort of a statement uh, and said that you know the CCC are currently uh, launching an investigation into the events in Crow Park yesterday and we will make a decision in due course. Well, Mick, Mick the GA are quite uh, quick to make decisions when it comes to, to, to money and, and, and Joe Bradley was making the point on the show last night that, you know, if this was Dublin Mayo 2017 and this had happened, there's 82,500 reasons why the replay would have been called straight away and that's, you can't, you can't argue with that. I mean, yeah, it, that's right. if they were filling Crow Park, this would have been decided straight away. Uh, yeah, and it's, 
it's a real thumb in the face of the biggest day in the club calendar as well. Because as you say, if it had been an All-Ireland Senior Final, I'm sure there would have been something out yesterday morning. Maybe even Sunday evening. Uh, maybe even the 45 would have been retaken, such as the gravity of the situation. But uh, to me, like, I, there's a lot of things I didn't like about Sunday. I didn't like uh, the state of the pitch for an All-Ireland Club Final. I didn't like the fact that how was it? How did they realise that Dara Mullen had to come off after the forty-five? Why did? How did they not know beforehand? There's like this isn't like a college's game where there's consternation on the sideline and there's lads going everywhere and lads running on and off. This is an All Ireland club final with you know so many officials involved, the cream of the crop, and I, it's amazing to think that we've allowed this to happen. And as Damien says, we seem to miraculously find a way to shoot ourselves in the foot at different chances when the opportunity arises, and we've done so again. Yeah, Damien, that that uh, transformation in viewpoint that you talked about when when you just joined us about how you know we leave everything on the field because you know the the best team won, and, and that was Malachi O'Rourke's immediate post match reaction. What do you think was the the, the catalyst for change um, in in the, the the Glen officials? Do you think? So it's, and I suppose the, the corollary to that is: is it your understanding then that you think they probably will appeal? Well, I, I'm not going to turn around and say what I think Glenn are going to do. I just I have been talking to one prominent person, um, and this is this that was prior to uh, uh, the invite to come into the show. Um, the change, I think, the change probably uh, is is that none of this is Glenn or Kilmacrub's fault. You know, it's, uh, I think the moral argument has been as is, is, is starting to recede, uh, and I think it's a situation of things been done right and done fair is starting to overtake the situation, you know. And as I said already, that particular person said, um, my view is, and he, he would carry a bit of weight, is that we, we take the appeal and then we make the decision themselves about whether we'll play the replay or not if we're awarded it. And that was very interesting, I thought, on, on his part to say that. Damien, what, what, what's your take on people who are coming out and making the, frankly, in my opinion, bizarre argument that the, the final play was just one play, it was only 15, 20 seconds, didn't have a massive impact, you know, someone being on the line. Like, you, look, you were a wing half forward in that great Derry team in 93 and with Balahi as well. In fact, you played Kilmacud yourself in the All-Ireland Senior Club football final in 95. As a, as a forward, as someone involved in those moves, just how, how impactful could it be having an extra player involved and an extra defensive player on the line? Well, you know, apart from you know playing, I've been involved in management for quite a while now, and uh, I've seen so many games. You know, g- genuinely, uh, you know, I've seen so many games won in the last five and ten seconds of the game, and you know, play people saying that I don't think they fully appreciate the, the chaos. I mean, the games and, and as managers and coaches, and we try to control as many outcomes as, as we can, and there's a lot more structures come into the game that has you know, allowed you to try and control what's going to potentially happen in terms of your plays. But there's periods in games where it's absolute chaos and nobody has any control. And what we had in that last period of the game was chaos. And Kilmore Cruds were, you know, they were all over the place. They were just defending for their lives. And that opportunity was there for, for, for Glenn to take something out of the game. And, you know, when a space is congested, that you put one more player into it. It changes the entire dynamic of what potentially could happen. And, you know, every outcome creates a different outcome. And that's just the natural way of things. So that's what's happened there. Mullen was on the line. That made that space more congested. There might have been somebody else would have dropped into this position, which would have created another space in front of the six-yard box. Those are things that have never been answered. 
Yeah. And the set already from my experience and playing and managing quite a while. That I've seen so many games in the last five and six, ten, eight, you know, fifteen seconds, one, one or loss. I, I referenced Carrigan and Eve Connell and Ulster Club this season. Um, you know, nothing was impossible, and nothing is until the final whistle, and that that opportunity was taken away. Yeah, the All Ireland Club hurling final last year. Like yeah. it's not, it's not like it's not like there's loads of precedent for last minute goals, uh, beating teams who are trying to defend the lead. Um, Damien, I know you got to go in, in just a moment here. Just on that point about um, then we'll decide if we offer a replay or not. Like that, the, the whole the rule initially used to be very clear. As soon as you breach, if you have an extra man on the field of play, you get kicked out. You forfeit. There's no there was no wiggle room. So. The, the the rule changed to allow some wiggle room and I guess if the GAA had stepped in and said we're dictating a replay then there wouldn't have been any kind of uh, sense of offering it would have been like do you know whereas now all of a sudden if if there is an appeal then it's up to it's up to Glenn to decide what happens yeah and that's uh, you know that's, uh, you know well I suppose if there is an, you know that is up to Glenn and it's just uh, I just think it's rotten um, I just genuinely do it's it should have nothing. This at this point in time should have nothing to do with Glenn because they did nothing wrong. And Kilmer could, in fairness to them, you know what's happened is it's been a mess. As you already referenced, the official the official is making a mess of it. You know, so it just doesn't sit right. And I think uh, I, I just, just you know the history books will be there and people will move on in five, six, seven, eight years, nine years, ten, whatever. But Glenn will be left with this legacy. Of, of a mess and, a, and one of the biggest days of that club's uh, generation so uh, is there is there is it too late for somebody to step in and say right we've just decided we're going to fix this there's going to be a replay lads because if they if they allow the appeal to come through that could be an absolute disaster because Glenn might decide well, we, we're just you forfeit the game we win it and away we go uh, well, that's what they're going to do. I mean, if, uh, at this stage, if they've filled themselves a hole and, and they're not going to, uh, they're not going to stop digging. They're just going to let it run uh, and leave the ball to Glen's court. And make no mistake about it. Right. That, I hadn't even, I hadn't even considered that scenario. Uh, yeah. Okay, Damien, we let you go. Thanks a million. Not at all. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's uh, Damien Cassidy there. Of course, an All Ireland winner in his time. Uh, Blahi Clubman. I guess that's the view from from Derry. Michael, what do you make of that? Because I hadn't, I definitely hadn't thought of that scenario where, um, you know, the, the rules. I don't know. Maybe the CCC just take the uh, take the appeal and decide that it's going to be a replay, and it's up to them then. Well, I hope the ball isn't thrown back into Glen's court in that case, where it's going to, you know, there's a potential for them to actually win the fixture and win the All-Ireland um, when I'm sure that's like I'm sure that's not what they want I'm sure they just want you know they want to replay the game I'm sure they just love to even have that last playback let alone play the game again have that last playback against uh, with just 15 men on the line and that would be smart you, like, the ball was very close to going into the it corner just yeah. the and th- there's a rule of it's like unintended consequences it's not um it's not a coincidence that the ball went to that side because there was probably an overload on the other side of the goal, partly due to the extra man. If you get me, yeah. Um, so, so like, and that's why, and that's why I'm sure, I'm sure there was a tactical reason why the ball was floated in towards that side and not the other side because there was an overload on the other side due to due in part to to the extra man. But um, I saw someone tweeting if the you know if this is going to be a replay to this game that. Thirteen years later, Loud are finally going to get their their day back, <laughs> and they're going to they're going to replay the the famous Leinster final. And again, like that leaves such a such a tower, sour taste amongst Loud people and amongst the rest of the country. And again, the 
the onus was probably put on Mead at the time and Mead came out as the, the bad guys in it. Um, whereas like the GA should have made a call on that as well. Yeah. And like if, if we can't, if we haven't learned from that, do you think we would have learned by now? And you asked, Jerry, is it too late for somebody to come up, put their hands up and make a call? No way is it too late. It's not even 48 hours since the game was fixed to be played. So of course it's not. Get, um, get Thierry Henry out of retirement as well, I think. Uh, play Ireland, France, all, who, all over. Who's going to do that? Is, is it the president? Is it, uh, who is it? Is it the director general? Like some, yeah, there's, there's probably yeah, it's probably a combination of people: the president, director general, uh, chair of the CCC. Do you know what I mean? Like this, anyone. You you've seen like lads calls like look at the, how quickly the split season was made and even the COVID championship was made. Things can be done very quickly when they have to be done, and you know what I mean. There's not there's not as much red tape as it's made out when you actually have to go and make a call quite swiftly, and your hand is forced. So just to just to uh, outline the, the nightmare scenario might be here where um, Glenn issue an appeal. We all know the appeal is going to be successful, and then after that they're like, okay, uh, well we have to have an outcome here. And Glenn at that point go, well we're not replaying it now because that's you know it's ridiculous. If the appeal is successful, the game has to go ahead. The replay has to go ahead. You would, you would hope so yeah. automatically. But but I don't know if the I don't I don't know the the rule is. We're um, going to make Glenn make two decisions. I still don't understand why the CCCC couldn't just decide as opposed to having to wait for the. I don't understand why it wasn't the referee's report first off. That that mm. seemed strange, and then I also don't understand why the CCCC didn't just make a decision immediately as opposed to leaving it to Glenn. Like, is, is the culture just that we are terrified of making decisions? Is that like, and where does that come from? Yeah, I, 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 maybe so. Um, we've been quite poor in the last couple of years. If you look at, like, the swell of public support that was needed for, for that Liam, Char- Liam Miller uh, charity game to be allowed to be moved to, to Parky Cueve. Look at all the different things. It's uh, Newbridge or nowhere. It was only when, you know, Keen O'Neill goes to a... <laughs> an RT studio in Cork and makes this plea and they're saying they're not playing the game and all of a sudden things start changing and the GA who made a statement to say that that game will be going ahead all of a sudden that changes uh, and you were talking about you know why is the, what's the reason for the swell of support or the momentum change like I don't this isn't like Jimmy Cooney with Offaly in 98 where everybody knows straight away the game has been blown up early and Offaly people head on to the pitch and are you know not going to leave until they get what they want this is the sort of thing where you know only television viewers probably knew what was going on. People in the stadium wouldn't have wouldn't have really known what was going on at the time, if you get me. Yeah. And it's just as time has moved on, then people are realizing more and more. Maybe you, you, as you said, you take your beating or, and originally, and then it's like, ah, okay. no, come here, this you, isn't right. You you bring up Offaly Offaly Clare, right? If I if I'm Croaks, I'm looking at Offaly Clare in '97, going, Jesus, lads. Not no offense here, but I don't think the best team won over the over those games, Michael. I would say that Clare team was an all time. Wasn't ninety seven? Was it? What, what year? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah, I got 98, the year wrong. Yeah, yeah well, that was one of the all time great Clare teams, and I think they left that behind them. But here's the thing: if I'm Croaks, I'm terrified of a replay with the public swell of support, unless I'm the one who who goes out with the offer. I'm rallying the troops, not saying <laughs> stop drinking. Tuesday clubs cancelled. We're training tonight just in case. There's so many moving parts in this, isn't there? Like, I remember awfully there was word came through that there could be a replay on the Monday and they were going to go training. Um, and I think Johnny Pilkington and a couple were a bit too far gone at that stage <laughs> to, to, to go to go, tra- to go training that day. Um, but they eventually got back. But look at the the public support for Offaly at the time. Like, Offaly, I went to that game in, in Turles in 98. 
Offaly were not going to be beaten that day. No way. By hell or high water, they were not going to be beaten. There was more Offaly people at that game than I remember at any other game. And they just had all the energy. Whereas Clare was like a balloon where you just, you know, you took all the, the air out of it. And it it's probably turning into a similar scenario should there be a replay. I don't know when there's going to be a replay, whether it's going to be next weekend potentially or, you know, two weeks' time or whatever. But you would imagine a lot of the momentum is with Glenn. You have to think about it from a Killing Cud point of view. You're going in to play another game which you think you've already won, mm. potentially. You've celebrated it like you've won. But that's why uh, I'd get out in front of that. That's why, you know, apart from, apart from I think they should show leadership and say, we know where this is going to go. We, we can see the writing on the wall. We can see it's unfair. And we can see that we've been, for whatever reason, we've benefited from an unfair advantage, right? Uh, if if you want to manage that, get out in front of it and say, right, let's get training. Mm. Like, let's offer, let's take away that moral sense of chip on the shoulder that Glenn have let's be the ones that offer them the replay and then, then the ball is in their court like on a, at a strategic level if you're thinking about it the ball is in their court and they can oh we're not you know we're, gonna, we're just going to take it off you and then all of a sudden this whole conversation flips yeah, they shouldn't have to do that. It's the kernel of the point. But I, I understand where you're coming from. You're, you're obviously looking for some sort of a strategy operations manager thing or something like that. Or cri- cri- crisis, crisis. I'm happy manager. here. How, how to deal with a crisis. How to come out look, smelling like roses in a crisis. Well, I'll tell you what, Mick, the, the psychology of a replay will be fascinating. But the, the, the f- fact that we were talking about it earlier, it would set dangerous precedent. Maybe dangerous is too strong oh, yeah. a word. A ridiculous precedent because then all of a sudden you have people like Damian Cassidy say preparing his Balahi team to play Glenn next year in the Derry Senior Championship and he can throw on the 16th man with no fear of repercussions or a replay or anything it, 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 just, it, would, it would send such a wrong message yeah no I, I totally get where you're coming from at that point and uh, that would be completely nipped in the bud and said okay Kilmacote had 16 players on at this time and they were you know they lost an All-Ireland title and were forced to replay the game and like if, if it even entered anybody's head to do it at any stage in a game you know it's gone out of your head straight away because you see the repercussions of it and potentially there could be a replay there could be a fine there could be several things in this depending on what's going to happen but it's definitely um, it's definitely a story that's going to rumble on for another while well certainly I I, I thought that uh, the view in Glen uh, coming from the Irish News early yesterday was that look they were just going to let it go but it seems like um, from what Damien Cassidy was saying that they've changed their minds that they've been listening to people saying it's not fair 16 versus 15 is just not fair and like look you know uh, so it it feels now from what he's saying that uh, an appeal is more likely than not yeah that's what it, that's what it looks like at the moment anyway I would have said it's de- the, the percentage chance of an appeal coming I think is increasing as every hour passes by I like to think of Conor Glass and the lads currently doing laps around the pitch somewhere. <laughs> they're off the drink already. They're just they're already training for it. They're it, it laps, com- around, laps around a bar, I'd say, more like <laughs> Possibly, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's better that it's weekend after this one if there is a replay. Michael, yeah, good stuff. So. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. It's Thanks Ma- a million, folks. Michael Verney there. Uh, David Moran should be talked about later. What a legend. Great player, says Jack Nulty. David Moran should have had a whole show. Like, uh, yeah, uh, Mars Brosnan was brilliant on talking with Richie last night. Uh, he he specifically was talking about I can't remember which game it was now but the number of kick passes that uh, Moran made which basically helped transform the entire sport and that he felt like he deserves uh, for services rendered to the game of Gaelic football David Moran deserves special praise and um, I think he's right and hopefully we'll do justice to, to that it just feels like this story is too big at the moment and it seems to be evolving and developing and that was um, interesting that Damien Cassidy has been talking to somebody from the club 
and that's their mood is hardening. Yeah, hundred percent. And you kind of knew that even when you were listening to Malachi Rook after the match, you were like, "Well, as as time passes here, the Glen mood is going to change." You know, as the as the news lines continue and as the story uh, continues to not go away, then Glen are going to maybe have another think about it because, um, especially when there's been radio silence from the Kilmacud side, Glen are probably sitting there going, "Well, this this is festering. Something needs to happen here." Back page of the Irish Independent this morning. There must be a replay. Brawley, as Glenn expressed their frustration. So that's Brawley. That's the piece that he did with Richie last night. And we're going to play you out with that uh, at around about half past nine this morning. But at 8.38, John Duggan is with us. John. Kieran Shane, how are we doing? Good morning to you. What are your thoughts? I think there's a couple of things I think Glenn need to appeal. Whether they want to or not, they have to appeal because the governing body in any sport should be making the rules and deciding on things when there are disputes or there's transgressions or whatever like that. So for the GA to put this on Glenn is not fair, uh, that they have to decide by tomorrow afternoon whether they want to appeal or not. Like, the rule is not... It's Rule 6.4, Section B, Part 1, says a team exceeding the number of players permitted under Rule 2.1, rules of specification, playing rules, penalties for that, which is an, an extra player, on a proven objection, which would be Glenn... Award of a game to the opposing team or replay or fine, depending on the circumstances. Below that, it says, on an inquiry by the committee in charge, forfeiture of a game without award of a game to the opposing team or replay or fine, depending on the circumstances. It doesn't say or, it just it's just below it. So if that's just below it, then surely the Central Competitions Control Committee could just as equally intervene here and say, we feel that this should be replayed. Yeah. Uh, Jer was making the point earlier. You know, wouldn't it be nice to hear from from Kilmacud and for them to come out ahead of this and say, "Okay, oh, I don't think it's about." I think Joe Brady's right. Things about it's not about Glenn or Kilmacud. This is about the governing body making a decision based on the fact that there were sixteen players on the pitch. At the yeah, end of the but day. Say, you're, so say you're a Dublin fan. Dublin say Dublin have sixteen men for the last kick of the game against Mayo in twenty seventeen. It would be nice to have Dublin come out ahead of this and say there should be a replay. I don't think it's I don't think it's their role to do that. I think uh, they have a role. Wrongdoers, can they go to the wrongdoers here by by I choice or not? I think you're 100 percent correct. The the primary responsibility rests with the GA. But where is the leadership at Kilmacud? Where are they thinking about like this is how we want to win this? This is going to be it is it is tarnished. Whether or not they they see that right now, if if this result stands forever, there'll be an asterisk beside that going. Well, you know. They had 16 men on the field of play. Yeah. And maybe they don't care. And if there's a replay and if Glenn win that, is there an asterisk beside that as well? Beside the replay? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. It's, it's, a, it's a reset button. The clock starts at zero for that replay. Like, uh, I mean, there's the a story. Board. There's definitely a story about it. The yeah. way there's a story about the 98s, Jimmy Cooney. Like, the pair would have won that all hour, by the way. And uh, <laughs> I think they would have too. <laughs> yeah. I really... I yeah, really and I was, I was bitter. As bitter as a Clare fan, I was very bitter about that. And as Kim McCull fans would be better if there's a replay and they lose. I, I totally get that. But that doesn't matter. You know, I think there has to be a replay, as Colin McKee says, for the integrity of the game going forward. There has to be a replay. In my, uh, like, I, I think a fine is too lenient, and a and a, a overturning or forfeiting the game is too harsh. The replay is the obvious middle ground. In yeah. that. but this should be. It's not about Glenn being put in this awful position where they got to make this decision by tomorrow afternoon to make a, a call to whether object or not. And if they do object, they're saying, well. Um, it's just sour grapes people are accusing them of that and then they've got to go and they've got to go all over again they shouldn't be putting that guilt no. there, there should be any kind of guilt around that there's one other thing I want to say about this uh, everybody was clamouring for the split season and the split season happened and the club got their uh, days in the sun at a much more increased level of scrutiny than they would have had in the past when you've got league games going on around the same weekend as the club finals around Patrick's Day in the last couple of weeks the barometer uh, from that scrutiny has not been great 
with the six red cards in the Fossa Stewart and Harps game, the elbow in the face, and now this absolute mess. Now, maybe we can argue that it would have happened in uh, an intercounty match between, say, Meath and Loud and, and Claire Offaly, as you said in the past, but I just think with the, you're going to now have more increased levels of scrutiny on the club game, given it is now with a clear run. Mm. I think that's for the best, though. You know, I think yeah. that like uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna have this behaviour amplified, you have some hope of there being an element of shame around elbows to the face. Yeah, like oh, this poor lad. Do you know he's got a job to go to? Well, then don't elbow somebody in the face. Don't be an el- a face elbower. And also, try not to be that person. Yeah. Mm. Like oh, he's not that type of. Well, he is. He is. He just he just showed us he's a face elbower. And <laughs> also, do it. not taking myself off a pitch when I should. Like I do, you know. Uh, we could hear the tannoy. We could hear the yeah. tannoy on the TV now. Maybe the microphone. Well, is, Ma- Mannion, is beside the- Mannion looked like he had to look up to the screen to realise his number and name was up. There. I don't think Mannion but- is really relevant to this. No, no. Yeah, but, but then Darren yeah. Mullen would have seen his his name up on the screen as well, equally so. But but then their argument is: was his head just on that move? The forty-five was he not looking up at the screen or thinking about it? Um, I just feel the club game needs to wake up to the fact now you're now in the in the much more limelight than you would have been a year ago. Yeah, well, it's it's the GA. Yeah, who run the club game? These are there. If this was if this was happening at like a tiny ground mm. where the crowd were actually on the field, you'd be like, okay, vague understanding of how this happened. But all the processes and procedures and stewards and everything that work in Croke Park all the time were the ones who were responsible for for this, right? And the, one last point on this: the the CCCCC. I'm like, oh, why don't they just intervene? The CCCCC stands and is appointed by the president of the GEA. So it's the president of the GA and it's the director general who between them need to come out and say, this is the situation. This is what's happened. Mm. This is what our solution to it is. If you don't like it, that's fine. But we've made a decision as opposed to our decision is we have no decision. Because like, let's face it, that is, that is the decision that they've made. We're going to let this tiny small club in this moment of massive crisis, we're going to put all the pressure on three or four people in that club to make a decision on which the rest of history will depend. The, the history books will record what happens in the Waddy Glen Clubhouse. Mm. Like, yeah, it's seismic. Glen, Glen Clubhouse. And, and there is a, there is, like, the GA is a very well run organisation, like, financially, like, in terms of putting all the money back in, if you compare it to the FAI in the last 20 years, there's just no comparison. It does an amazing job of with communities and all that kind of thing. But I was just watching Monday Night Football last night. And the Arsenal Man United, like the analysis by Neville and Cara of Arsenal Man United, and you're thinking, wow, this is unbelievable stuff. This is like the, the top level of sport and the professionalism, and this is the biggest global thing. And then I'm looking at this absolute circus on the other side. <clears throat> the, the thing that annoys me most about the fact that Len have to decide, myself and Joe were up in Mahara last summer, I think, ahead of one of Derry's big All-Ireland quarterfinals or semifinals for a roadshow, and in that area of Waddy Graham's Glen, and this sounds like a cliche to say they absolutely love their football and that's probably why they're not like it's a real community feel they don't want to be the guys to turn around and, and, and say let's have a replay they don't want to win that way and that's probably where you're getting Maliki O'Rourke's comments after the match he's along similar lines he says I don't think that that's the way the club runs they don't want to win this way but the point is it should be on the GEAs yeah no, no, no club sh- no club no county should be no if it was the other way around Kilmacud shouldn't have to make the decision either Fergus Kyo uh, points out bring both teams to Brefley Park at the weekend and have them replay the 45 <laughs> Which is an option. <laughs> it's just remarkable. I didn't think like I didn't even notice it at the end of the game. I have to say it was only then on Twitter afterwards. I was like, Jesus, yeah. And then you look at the you look at the photographs that are on the back pages of the papers today. And and they're very the front, page, the front page story in the Irish Times. It wasn't yesterday though. Yeah. That was interesting.
<laughs> it didn't make the front page of the sports section yesterday. It's the front page of the main paper today, so... Um, that's the front of the Irish Times this morning. It, it, like, it is... So, Broly was talking about the reputational damage. Like, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. This is, like... How many All-Ireland Finals do you have? 8, 10, 12, 14. Like, 20 All-Ireland Finals at all age groups in, in uh, men's and women's in Croke Park. And, like, one of them is now because of a counting error. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Like, my... <laughs> How many fingers? Can't count. Well, that's How many the point. fingers? Oh no, we've gone on to a fourth hand. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's the point Damien Cassidy was making. This is a once in a lifetime. Glenn made every back in the All Ireland final. Last year was the first time they won a Derry Senior Championship. This year was the second time, and they went straight away all the way to the All Ireland final. They might never be back. They mightn't be back for 20, 30, 40 years in an All Ireland final. So now is the time to strike and and replay this game whether they someone's pointing out in the comments Croaks will bash them in the replay they might do they might who cares well, yeah. well, then it, it, it would be a clean situation it would be exactly. and Croaks would feel better about that they would, they would. Like, and in fairness if I'm if I'm uh, if there's anybody in the Croaks uh, conclave talking about this like well what are the outcomes here more than likely there's going to be a replay yeah. and actually there should be so we need to start preparing for that and the best way to prepare for that is take all the moral high ground out of this and go do you know what that was an error yeah, get ahead of it. Human error happens. We've, we've had replays in the past with Claire Offaly, as we said, and I remember at the time that was very much, if, if I recall, obviously the Offaly uh, people all went and sat on the pitch and um, it was mayhem. It was there the day. And then the next week it was just it was decided that they'd have to replay in Thurlis and Claire were done. They were just almost shot. And then you had Armand, Leash in 2016, had to replay a football championship qualifier because there was an extra substitution used by Leash and Leash went and won the replay. Nafila in the early 2000s they had to replay a game in the Leinster um, Championship so there are precedents around this and it's very clear what the rule says it's very clear that if these if there's more players there these are the things that can happen Can you imagine the bite in the narrative around a replay? I mean already as you say the club game has a, has a focus on it a spotlight but this replay would be juicy to say the least I just think with the spotlight it needs to be tighter um, Alright what so, else going on? Well, Frank Lampard sacked. I don't know if you've talked about much in the show yet, um, but you'd have to think they're going down because of the financial constraints they're under at Everton. You're going through, uh, like Sky were going through it last night on Monday Night Football. You've had um, 692 million has gone out under Mashiri since 2016 and a net spend of 310 million. Their highest league position has been seventh. Uh, Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman, Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, Carlo Ancelotti, uh, Rafa Benitez, and now Frank Lampard. They're second from bottom in the league. They've got 15 points in 20 games. For a club that hasn't been relegated since 1951, I was going through the amount of titles won. They've more titles won than Manchester City. They're fourth in the, in the honours list behind Man U, Liverpool and Arsenal. It's amazing for such an institution. Reminds me of Leeds in the, in the mid to, mid-noughties um, or Sunderland to these clubs that they're probably too big to fail and then they do fail. Yeah, and like... Uh, earlier on we were talking about with um, Dominic King and he was comparing them to Sunderland and Villa like Villa did make a recovery and did make a comeback but it took new owners and the injection of hundreds and hundreds of millions uh, Leeds took two decades basically yeah, to come back 16 years yeah you know um, Anthony Barry by the way speaking of Roberto Martinez in the Irish Examiner being linked with the return to Stephen Kenny's backroom team which is interesting obviously his time at Belgium is finished he's back with Chelsea now on a day to day basis uh, Harry Kane 266 goals world class stuff last night a 1-0 win for Spurs at Fulham at Southampton-Newcastle tonight. And Johnny Sexton then um, at the Six Nations launch kind of uh, criticising this amateur uh, law that's going to be brought in in the English game about uh, no tackles above the waist. And he says that's just as dangerous as um, uh, because you can get hit by the knee or by the by the 
other ways you can get hit that, that can be just as dangerous in the tackle and it's about more I think improving the tackle generally and the tackle rules generally it's funny because uh, you could hear everything in Fulham last night um, through the tannoy through through the TV coverage and all you could hear the Spurs fan chatting was we want Levy out we want Levy out through the whole game even though they were leading which was interesting the away fans know the score the away fans mm. yeah well, I was in with the away fans of the Frankfurt game and you really feel wow this is this is the real hardcore um, and I mean that in a good way um, supporter that does not miss a game for you were one of the ultras years. that day John yeah um, like even we were all escorted uh, from a pub a Roddy's pub in Frankfurt to the train station and there was a special train for the Spurs fans to uh, the um, train station where the, the stadium was. And you actually got to walk through a forest in Frankfurt to get to the ground. So it was uh, Tottenham in the Woods was the song. Uh, but that, that was last night. And um, yeah, I think it's only one story though, isn't it? It's, it, it's, it's funny, like as you said, David Moran is kind of uh, on the back burner with... Uh, Poor David, Jesus. Yeah, with, with this Glenn story. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? I think it's, what do you want to happen? I think um, there will be a replay. I think Glenn will will object and there'll be a replay. Uh, but would I be surprised if they don't? Um, no. But if they don't, then that, that, that creates another problem. because What happens the next time it happens? Well, but also creates a legitimacy problem. It, it just shows that the GA um, has taken itself out of a situation where they're the governing body, and that's not a good thing. And there'd have to be some kind of rule change or some kind of thing at Congress or some presidential change where the GA needs to take control of their own rules. Yeah. So actually, I think from the GA's perspective, it'd be good for them if Glenn do object. Why don't they understand that? Why don't they see that? Why aren't they, why aren't they out in front of that? Although the, if we think this through, the multiple different scenarios that might actually happen here, if, 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 if there's a lawlessness around mm. if we don't actually deal with this, as you say, like, counties will be asking, oh, why aren't we throwing on the 16th man for the last minute? It's fingers in the ears. Let, uh, let's hope this blows away. Let's hope this just, let's hope someone else make, makes the decision here. We don't want to have to make the decision. Nobody wants to have to make this decision. Like, I don't know who's on the CCCCC. So, the, so, so there's a, there's a full committee and it's, it's all, it's published and it's appointed by the president is the thing. It's so appointed it's, by the president. Very high profile, really well qualified, but I'm not sure that they're asked to be leaders in this scenario. No, but, what I mean? but, but, but even if there are leaders, you can just say, oh, I'll just blame the CCCC. You're not actually even blaming a person, you're blaming an entity. And then the entity can just hide behind the entity. And then you can just say, well, it's the GA. And that, actually, that's probably a good thing for them. Well, so I just get in, get in front of it, decide, you know what? We're not happy with this. The organisation are using it as a shield as opposed to the, the, the members of the CCCC. I don't think they've been tasked with being leaders in this. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think that they're actually... They're, well, it'd be very interesting to hear from some of them exactly uh, how much encouragement they have to intervene in scenarios like this where it's like, it's not in the referee's report and unless there's a complaint, we can't do anything about it. But actually, on the statute books, they can do something about it, but they're actively discouraged or they seem to be uh, the, maybe they're not actively discouraged I need to be correct about this uh, maybe there's no encouragement for them to intervene which again is a sin of omission you would argue you'd be uh, fascinated to see are there any back channels in the situation is there, there must a, be. is there a call going in to Glenn what's, what's your feeling what's the thoughts here what's, what's the music here are you yeah. going to appeal okay you're going to appeal well, then we'll make the decision you, you'd wonder if that kind of those kind of conversations are happening but like well. they should have happened you know in the immediate aftermath and uh, all day yesterday well, let's just wait and see if anybody says anything and all the on the back page on Tuesday. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> if it's yeah. still there on Wednesday. Page. If it's still there on Wednesday, we'll do something. No, we, Which okay, we weren't on the front pages today. Yeah. 24 hours later. <laughs> yeah. A mushroom cloud. 8.53. John Duggan, thanks for much for that. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon and off the ball on News Talk. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. 
Now here's what's on OTV Sports Radio for you today. OTV Gold, Keith Andrews meets Philly McMahon. Diecast at three, a career retrospective of Packy Bonner at four. Cora Staunton is OTV Gold and the show is live tonight with Galway legend Joe Canning and an update on the latest situation at Juventus, which is really interesting. Uh, we didn't talk about Paratici there, but he might be getting banned uh, because of the fallout from that. Uh, Richie McCormick on hosting duties. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. After the break... Dublin and Donegal are a lot of winners. Michael Darren McCauley and Eamon McGee will be on the line as we talk about the issue of Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson, who have such a strong influence on young men. First, here's Gordon Darcy on his surprising Ulster connections chatting on last night's Monday Night Rugby. Like Ben Healy, as someone saying, was, was born, was qualified for Scotland the day he was born. Yeah. Um, but hasn't represented Ireland. I think there is a slight um, wrinkle in that. John Cooney's played 10 times for Ireland, so... That's you know I know there is a, a loophole there for you. Um, once you're happy with it, it's I just I suppose it's not something I could ever ever see myself doing. Were you qualified for someone else, Gordon? You're not telling us. No, no. It's like it's like <laughs> do you know what? It's like um, you know at very at two at two different times in my career, I got offered to go to I was I got offers uh, to go to two different two, two other clubs, and one was in the UK and one was uh, Ulster, um, and and France. You know, the, couldn't couldn't settled with the one in the UK but the Ulster one it just like it was brought up right through the Leinster system yeah just it's just like oh, I couldn't I genuinely couldn't put that jersey on so you know I think there's a there's a, a thing you have to there's, like when you take money out of sports sometimes in this professional in professional rugby and um, there is you know there is something special about representing your your, your country and I think for me, and then again, this is, and it's not do whatever you want. I don't, I don't really care. I like back you to, to do it. You have picked a country and now it's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to avail of a loophole. It's like, listen, I understand what is there. I just, again, saying I can't, I can't ever see myself being able to kind of go give the same dedication. If you did do it, how yeah. would you, like, you can't say you love Scotland as much as you, as you loved playing for Ireland. It's not something you grow up with. OTB AM. Right, it's 8.56. Uh, I'm delighted to say Michael Darren McCauley and Eamon McGee are with us. Inspired a bit by Eamon McGee's tweet, uh, it worries me immensely that there is young lads out there who swear by Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson. There's the tweet on screen for you. Um, Eamon, what, what worries you about this? Uh, well, first of all, I have to say that there's a big difference between Peterson and, and Tate. Now, I think some people were saying that I was putting them in similar brackets, Tate's further, way, way further down the road than what, what Peterson. Peterson was the was the kind of the start of this and it is in my opinion, when you when you just keep keep the thing going now. But in terms of what worry the Tate thing is obvious because the stuff the stuff he said in terms of how he he kinda glamorizes, you know, misogyny and he talks about r- raping women um, with, with the Peterson now I, I just think that I kind of come into Peterson through a friend and I've listened to a few debates and all this and he's going to be a bit of a spooker at if, if young fellas are putting him in this bracket as a kind of a sage and someone that they can go to and someone that they take take life advice from, then you know that 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 worries me. And obviously the Tate thing worries me because he's just such a plonker and he just has really really toxic toxic views here. 
Yeah, if you if you look through uh, any of the young Irish actors or musicians or footballers or GA players, um, if you look who they're, through their following on Twitter, um, uh, Tate's name pops up on a lot of them. Um, Michael Darry, you were happy enough to talk about this to us, as you were saying. Of all the nice things you've asked me to talk about over the years, <laughs> I've turned you down. But this one, you did want to talk to us about this. Um, yeah, yeah, for for God knows, God knows why. Um, but yeah, look, I, th- I, I think Eamon has points there. I think it's uh, I, look, it, it's kind of missed my generation a little bit. Like, I think lads in their thirties are probably more at home with themselves. They're more found whatever whatever their version of masculinity is. Um, and Andrew Tate hasn't been a big factor in our lives, and it's only recently that we started talking about him. But it is worrying when you start talking to the younger people, and when you start talking to people in their teens who are still finding themselves. And Andrew Tate is big noise, like like he is. He is big noise, and and people are believing what they're saying. Um, so I think, look, if, if anyone who's kind of spouting views like that, like it, it, it just it has to be kind, of, it has to be kind of clocked and watched. Um, and I think I'd be very like, you have to be very careful how you speak about it as well, because I, like I know, I know, like at that age, if you tell me not to listen to someone, I'm going to listen to them even more. I'm going to buy yeah. their T-shirt as well. I would have been that that kid. Like, so I think it just it just needs to be explained and talk through why people are why people are are listening to this dude and and just to, 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 to so people have a, have a an understanding of where these views are coming from and, and what nonsense it is yeah this isn't um, death metal or rage against the machine or something that you're being uh, told not to listen to where like uh, in, in at that stage most of those most of the message coming from that was anti-establishment this is actually a bit more dangerous it feels like yeah, and I want to like I, 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 was, establishment. I, th- I think that's what you know, gets them towards the the likes of Tate and the way he talks about the, the matrix and the system. There, there's definitely that that feel for it because I went down the YouTube rabbit hole over the weekend and my YouTube recommendations are under Tate and bedtime stories for kids now. Like so, <laughs> so and, and, I've, and, I've and I get the allure if you're a young fella and you know this guy saying you know fight the system. There's definitely that 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 part of it, that whole anti-establishment thing of it. It's even in, Michael Darrell, uh, Danielle McKenna was on News Talk Breakfast recently enough. She's a youth project manager up in, in Rialto. And she was talking about the fact that they're even very careful with young lads about the language. They don't even use the word toxic masculinity because, as she said, masculinity is, is something to be embraced and it's a beautiful thing. But on this end of the spectrum, when, when, when young lads are being taught about sexism and, and how to treat women by people like Andrew Tate, this is, this is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, like, and I, I think you have to be careful with that toxic masculinity word as well, because it does kind of drive people away and go, "Oh, that old fucking yeah." And then, and then lads will, will come the other way. In, in, yeah, like, and that and the establishment thing is fine, and and we we're all about it. And I was kind of wondering, I was comparing it to, I was actually comparing it to like the likes of Eminem when I was thinking of coming in here, and he was like lads that listened to him on his way age, and, and he has a song about killing his wife at the time, and and then like, and our generation before us were going, "Geez, those lads are walking around thinking, listening to that. Are they are they going around?" Like w- w- with similar views, but I, I think I think that the, there is just a, just a bit of a kind of just a bit of a, a snakier level to this, and just how it's done. Like I think it's it's been very like well acknowledged how much he's kind of gamified the system in terms of like just short YouTube clips and this this getting people like sixty percent of his of his followers to to like what he's saying and the other forty percent to hate it. It's that kind of it's that Donald Trump effect kind of where where it just gets people talking in those short snappy clips. Yeah, in a in a weird way, right? So Greta Thunberg obviously got a lot of credit for uh her owning of him and, you know, ultimately 
the claim that the Romanian authorities saw the pizza box and, and if anybody hasn't followed that story but what it also did was it meant that everybody who follows Greta Thunberg now knows who he is mm. and suddenly like the amplification um, uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, brilliant slash horrific use of the algorithms on TikTok and on social media where you have a fight with somebody who is not part of your core audience and then all of a sudden people come and they, they dunk on you but what that does is it it, um, it, uh, it gets your base out going screw you and then all of a sudden there's these rows happening that you don't even need to be part of anymore but your name is getting out there in lights and um, it is the gamification of the system a lot of people don't know who we're talking about who, who are watching this this morning and so we do have two clips that we want to play but there are significant trigger warnings uh, uh, ahead of these like um, pr- pretty gross uh, so just be careful if you've if you've young ears or indeed if um, you might be triggered by uh, murder or uh, abuse, then I just want to play these two clips. We'll play them back to back, okay? So the first one is an audiogram uh, where he's talking about how he would react if a woman attacked him with a machete. Have you ever seen a woman try and do anything competently? Like imagine a girl pick this up. Um, if I pick this up, you ain't f-ing with me. I'd have my left hand. I'd still like jab. I'd swing low, take your knee out. You ain't gonna see it coming. What would a woman do? Slap the machete, slap her in her face. One hand, machete, and then backhand. I perfected this in pimp school. When I got my PhD, we had to practice if a girl comes at you, ah, ah, you cheated, you cheated. It's bang out the machete, boom in her face, and grip her up by the neck. Shut up, bitch! There's a large contingent of men out there who don't want to wear makeup, who don't want to be girls, who don't want to be told they're toxic because they want to go to the gym, who want to drive nice cars, who want to have money, who want to have hot chicks. And there's nothing wrong with us. We are not evil. We are not bad. We're not misogynistic. We're not out to hurt anybody. Let me tell you one more thing. When bad things happen, they call men like us. The feminists who hate us and call us toxic, the second they have trouble, they'll call a police officer. Do you think they want a feminist male to turn up or a man like me and you? They need us and they use us. But the second we have an opinion, the second I decide to voice and talk about the things that we talk about, explain our point of view, they want to cancel us. They don't want us to speak. They just want us to defend them, build the railroads, build the roads, be the workhorses, be the slaves, and they think we're not He's uh, currently in prison in Romania facing charges of people people trafficking and organised crime. So um, we'll see how that all ends up from. But um, yeah, look, that's like it's absolutely deplorable. It's also like embarrassing. Like, like it's it's like who who was who was watching that and going, "Geez, I want to be that." Like, but it's 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 that. See that narrative of of you're under attack like it's that whole your masculinity is under attack these feminists are coming out to get you like it's like like that's that's what's driving people going geez I need to do something about this like 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 that's that's what's got, what's what's driving and, and even his, his whole thing like his whole his house is called the war room and it's like it's all this under siege mentality and and that's what's driving people and people are like geez I, I, need, I need to protect I need to protect my masculinity where, whereas it's like equality that, 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 that feminism are looking for like so yeah, that that's a, that's a, an interesting point, Eamon, that, that Michael Dara says siege mentality, and like uh, it often strikes me as you know, the conversation often comes up about uh, you know skinny women in magazines, airbrushed to the hilt, and and how that's a, a bad influence for, on young girls, and how that's not realistic and not real life. Similar, this is similar for young young lads. This this is being portrayed to them as as what they need to be. Hundred percent, and let's start off. It's it's incredibly hard to be a young male now, and. You know, from you, 
leave your teens to the to the late twenties. It's it's hard work. There's a lot of you know we're we're going through this movement where we had our roles. You know you know sixties seventies it was it was clearly defined, and now we we're moving towards and which I believe we're moving towards a be- better society here. And you know there's a lot of and I don't want to say the blame, but there's a lot of kind of guilt there in terms of the what, and I don't want to use this word patriarchy either, because it's, again, it's one of them words that people just roll the eyes at now, but there's a lot of guilt about that whole patriarchy, and of, of course there should be, but maybe the message that's getting across to these young boys that you was know, just you, you've got to atone for all these sins, and you know that seeps up, and the, the Tate thing is easier to get on board with, because you don't, you can just go back to the old ways, you don't have to change too much, it's an easier fit to get into, rather than going tr- embracing this this change that we're inevitably going to go towards anyway. We're going towards that that betterment. And, you know, Peterson put in it when he started coming out. We don't need to change. We don't need to apologise. And now Tate's taken to the next level and he's just going, like, as you're saying from them clips in terms of what what what, what he what he's all about. And I think young, young kids, it's, it's it's hard for them to go that extra way and it's just easier to get, to get on board with what the likes of these boys are saying. It's mad. And, and Jerry, you, we, we discussed this before the show, and you were making the point about how this isn't just kids, that Jordan Peterson, did he sell out the free arena? I think he did, and that, that wasn't all teenage boys attending that either. Um, it, I, and I'd like to think a lot of people in, in their friend group, if someone you know, started spouting Andrew Tate's views over a dinner table with, or a few pints with your mates, that people would step in and say, well, that's... That's that's not okay, but that's the point. It's not just it's not just young kids looking at their phones and being plagued and and diseased by social media. It's 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 adults too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know in the YouTube comments before I even open them this morning, we're going to be called woke, leftist, um, everything everything under the sun. It's the usual crap. I can't wait. And, and, and they're grown men. Yeah. No. Like, and what, what also happens, Shane, is that people will say, "Why why are you giving this airtime? Why are you giving what Tate wants?" But yeah, the, that that's gone. It's it's in you know. The school grounds, it's it's on the phones. The whole Tate thing, young fellas are in it. So this is why we need to have these conversations. And this is why, you know, we, we need to... Because a lot of parents don't have a clue who Andrew Tate is. There's a lot of older generation that don't know about it. So we people need to have these conversations because if we just, you know, bury the head in the sand, it's, it's no good either. Like, I actually think the... I think, like it, it's interesting to watch like if you see someone with these amazing cars and this lifestyle like and I think the vast majority of people who are flicking through his stuff are like I, like they just it's just eye candy they're like ah, I will watch that but but I think it's the ones that are actually really start believing in his values like they're the ones that are actually feeling dis- they're the ones that were disconnected from society they're the ones that feel that that that, that there isn't a place for them and, and he's given them that place they're the ones that you need to look out for and that you need to Try and push towards having a conversation with someone like that's that's like the next level, and they are only the the, the, the smaller percentage of it. Like everyone that ha- that follows Andrew Tate isn't a bad person. Like, mm. what do we do? What 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 is that conversation? Yeah, like it's tough, and, and the media has a big role in this, and, and I think people have been going back and forth, and we we had this with with Trump as well, going on like when he when he came around, we're like, oh sure, it's only this 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 fella, he's he he'll blow off now, this old idiot, like, and he became the leader of the free world, like, so like, we, like you need to be careful with how we how we address these conversations, so. Look, yeah, like I, I think the conversations need to be had, but w- w- without without that kind of backlash of like this is the wrong thing to do because people will just eat it up like and, and, and just, just I suppose try and have open conversations try and have people on, on both sides of the, both sides of the fence talking about it 
to try and understand exactly what it is that the kids feel that he's appealing to because otherwise it, like we were talking about it beforehand and um, Cameron who, who kind of put this whole thing together was making the point that a lot of people don't realise how difficult it was to get whatever form of equality we have today uh, I, I don't think we're finished I don't think that we are a fully equal society and you, you see it in the gender pay gap and you see it in loads of different ways um, and uh, if you're 16, 17 uh, you don't know that um, you know, people of colour had it so bad for so long. And we all have kind of witnessed that process that changed in the 70s, 80s, 90s. That was hard won. The marriage referendum, so hard won. Like, we feel like there's kind of a, you know, this is just the reality. But actually, you have to go through that process. That was an iterative process. You know, loads of societies aren't the same. Eastern Europe, still very homophobic, you know. Um, like, uh there, it's not natural that you would um, march in pride if you're a company. There, the, you know, the workforce are rebelling against that type of thing. Um, and they're all part of the same European Union. So I guess the, the point is that, like, what we take for granted, uh, we shouldn't take for granted. And we should be actually willing to explain to people, uh, no, equality is very important. <laughs> Men and women are equal. And not just assume that they know it for some reason. Mm. Yeah, and look, is it, a, is it a case of, like, that we just we need to like highlight values as opposed to like the people who don't have the values like in, in terms of like like obviously Conor McGregor is shopping at the same sweet shop as this fella like it's it's this, the, it's the same thing being spouted and there's probably that whole uh, like people are like when I go onto my timelines and stuff it's probably that's been, been sold at me more than like LeBron James who's, who's building sk- schools for kids and like and like, like that's that's maybe less interesting to highlight as opposed to McGregor doing whatever McGregor does next the usual nonsense like you, you said you're there. What, you know what? What do we do? And the reality is, we're probably talking this morning mostly to pe- parents of young lads, as opposed to young lads. Now, some young lads will see this as well. But and, and look, you do have to cut it at the source. And, and people like like Tate and Peterson aren't going to go away necessarily. But the conversation came up with, with Daniel McKenna, who I mentioned, the youth youth worker in Rialto, and she talked about phones and how you know she was being asked, you know, when when should you be okay with your young lad or young girl having a having a mobile phone? And she was like, well, as soon as you're okay with them seeing porn and seeing people like Andrew Tate pop up, that's when you buy the phone for your kid. Because the reality is, as soon as you get the phone, they're going to see this, this crap. Like, is, is there, what, what can parents do? Like, if your work, even Michael Dyer, working with, with young people, is there an onus on parents? Like, even parents watching this this morning, they're probably sitting there going, what, what can I, how do I, how do I interfere, interfere here? I'll actually kick that back to Eamon. He's full of babies over there. Well, that's true. <laughs> you've, you've young lads in the house, Eamon. So, like, what, what how do you go about ensuring that the young lads don't either see this or become familiar with it and, 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 and grow to, to, I guess, agree with it? I, and I think you just hit the nail on the head. Until you're ready, until that young fella is ready, you know, to see, you know, see the things, the likes of porn and the likes of these uh, poisonous, um, poisonous viewpoints, then, you know, it could be 16, it could be 17, it could be 18. That's when you, ha- that's when you hand them the phone. Um, and, I, and I know parents, I was one of these parents that there was never going to be screen time here. There was never going to be YouTube. And unfortunately, I, I trolled them YouTube, like, give me 10 minutes piece here. Give me a head piece for 10 minutes, bit of YouTube, throw it on. And, you know, you could have sell a wee bit of your principles on, on that there now. But some of them you have to remain steadfast in, in terms of what what you what gateway do you open for this for this young mind and when do you, when is the right time to open it there's no set time but you know you have to make that judgment call as a parent and just what what can we do for young folks i think schools 
in terms of the way we disseminate information. Because a lot of a lot of what Tate talks about, and, and even Peterson, like Peterson does say some good stuff, but there's a lot of stuff he's just way, way off the mark with. And, and the, how young people, we should teach them about this. There's very little to it. Like Tate's on about, you know, go to the gym, choose not to be depressed. And, and if, if a young person's watching that, and if he has the right tools to be able to just analyze this, well, what's he actually saying here? And call it out as the, you know, the BS that it is. Then that, that, that's that's possibly something. And parents obviously can help with that too. How because there's so much of this information. That's something that we're going to have to to talk about for this generation in terms of what's actually right and 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 what is what what isn't. What the whole the whole the media narrative. Because it's really, I mean, it's a peer, it's peer to peer. This uh, the dissemination of the information, and it's obviously far more powerful than you saying to somebody, "Oh, you shouldn't do this." When one of his mates said, "Well, of course we're going to do this because we've just been told not to." Mm-hmm. But like, um, so it's it's um, it's misogynistic, but pretty quickly it becomes racist, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, this becomes um, this becomes a fire that we can't put out. So we just need to be. That's why it is important to have these conversations. And I don't the toolkit for teaching people to deal with it like you can't deal with this stuff at 13 you make mistakes at 13 you you, you learn by making your mistakes I, I'm I'm, uh, I'm scared <laughs> yeah yeah um, look I'm, I'm not I'm not, I'm not I don't have some, some miracle answer now in fairness like and it's, 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 it's not easy I just like to try and keep the, keep the conversation open but not just kind of as I said just not going to kick it down the road and pretend that it's not going to it's not going to affect us like I think, I think it's it's, uh, it's, it's in the conversation need to, need, need to happen about it is there a role for sport and sports teams? Do you need to be aware of it, or is that is that like too? Is it is that supposed to be a safe space where it's not the job of like the soccer team or the basketball team or whatever to like say don't be pricks, lads? Yeah, no, I think I think I think sport completely has a role, like and and it's, it's a better space to deal with it usually, and and look and and this and and that whole that whole like dressing rooms aren't perfect places at all. They're 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 not woke environments in general, mm. um and and I suppose like. And, and they've definitely changed in my last 15 years in dressing rooms from what you could say or what people said 15 years ago has definitely changed but it's not it's not it's not it's not gotten to the gotten to the nirvana yet it's it, like the, there's still nonsense going on so but it, it, I think it, it is a better place and it, it probably comes from coaches to be able to like set that narrative conversation but it's very tough like I wasn't stepping outside of my box at 18 I wasn't telling someone like you're not allowed you're not allowed to say that like you know like at 18 I, like I was still trying to find myself I didn't know I didn't know where it was and when I came back in my 30s then I'm like yeah like I was like don't ever say that like yeah so it's 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 it's, it's not easy it really isn't for, for me sport it's, it's got to be there's got to be leaders in, in the local you know I think in the elite environment we shouldn't take and we won't get any leadership from any elite sports be it boxing be it cycling you know s- soccer or, or whatever I, I think at a local level that's where we need to see, to see your leaders and to see your you know the coaches down the local club stepping in and maybe if they see a conversation that strikes up come, come down it and you know not come down at hard, but just educate and say, do you do you honestly believe that now? Because it says it's hard being that young kid nowadays, and and I think if we if we come down hard in this, and you know we, we totally you know, put it in the forbidden section, that there it's just going to make it um, more more appealing to, to the to the young people. 
I, I was at a play recently uh, Timmy Creed did a play called Splice the one man play about hurling but it's all, it's all about that kind of dressing room culture and it's really interesting we, and we had a conversation afterwards and like I think, I think that's what we were, we were talking about that as well in terms of like there's probably two or three leaders in every single dressing room that actually completely set the tone of what happens in that dressing room like and, and that, that, that'll happen at all ages like and they will like in whatever way they want to pull and steer the dressing room Will will trickle down to, to to everything else that happens. So it's 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 important, as I said. It's not easy for you to be the person that steps up. But if you're listening to that and you are in that dressing room, like to have those conversations with those two or three people can be can make it a different place for the better. Yeah. I think the other thing is to try and create an alternative version of reality that is actually a positive sense of what it means to be <coughs> a, a man or to mm. define yourself as a man to be masculine. Like, um, and so to take it away from the conversation where the only way is uh, for it to be associated with negativity. And that's difficult because that's like, uh, you know, um, chiseling off uh, generations of, of um, conversation. But like, um, I know Gizzy tries to talk about this a good bit, about like positive masculinity and celebrating who you are as a man without it actually damaging or without it being uh, negative or aggressive. And running around the nip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no better man than Gizzy to, to, to push that. But yeah, like, that's what I was saying, like, like, to, to highlight those valley, values of, like, respect, integrity. And as I said, like, LeBron James might be somebody who did that. Like, and unfortunately, I was going in rabbit holes as well of, of, of Andrew Tate and it's a dangerous place. And then it just popped up, like, it was like, a minute of Usain Bolt being sound to strangers some like random clip and it was like it was so refreshing <laughs> it was yeah. like that's yeah. what you can do you can actually just be sound to, to, to strangers instead instead of being this, this like ridiculous human being um, so yeah so that, that's the point that's why you came in because you wanted to talk about this and keep this conversation going and I think like yourself and, and Eamon are both role models you know GA players realistically are role models in Irish society it would take it's going to take a lot more people like yourselves who are role models to come out Against what Andrew Tate and, and George, the likes of Jordan Peterson are saying, I know what Eamon's going to say there. Just in terms of like like all the club levels, like all the local lads in, in clubs are the role models in their clubs and their yeah. towns as well. And, that, and, that, and that's where the conversation needs to trickle. All right. Any final thoughts, Eamon? No, this is just good to have the good to have the conversation. Like, and just make people aware of it. And, and so the heavy-handed approach—it's—it's it's tough being that young person, and you know, we, we've got to ad- acknowledge what we did, what the patriarchy did, and you know, try and become better without taking step backwards. Now, if, if that makes sense. Uh, maybe just all run around the fields and carry with Gizzy in the nip and <laughs> it'll all be sorted it's on the agenda alright Michael Darren McCauley Dave McGee thanks lads it's 20 minutes past 9 this morning we're back in a moment with Deal or No Deal Hi Roy it's Maddie Taylor I can see him getting his car I've decided to go to Bolt I'm waving and going out the car man. just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation they just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line all right, Phil Egan is here with us. Phil, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are we doing? Uh, a welcome relief for you to uh, talk about transfer dealings. Yeah, from one all the rest of the stuff that's going on in the world. One week to go. Um, well, Frank Lampard's gone, right? Yep. So, uh, somebody at Everton's going to start buying players. Ooh, I'm, I think. Do they have the budget to do that? Well, they might sell Anthony Gordon. Yeah, I wonder is that ship sailed? Because his form is dipped. Uh, well, I don't think it's. It's not. It's just. It's very hard to stand out in a team. Have been in such bad form. Yeah, the best bits of Everton. There's been very few this season. Have been when Anthony Gordon's been involved. 
Is there a window of opportunity for somebody in the style of uh, Trossard being much cheaper than you thought he might be compared to some other players who are of a similar standard where you get Gordon for 20-something as opposed to the 60-80 million that it was yeah. a couple well, of months ago I think the difference though with, with Trossard and Gordon is the, the nationality age, the, the, age, the, age, the nationality okay. and contracts and all that as well but um, now if Everton are going to get out of it I think they need Anthony Gordon right I, I, I genuinely believe look Everton have a lot of problems but I think that their squad is good enough to get out of trouble but they have to choose right and a lot of the talk obviously is about Bielsa and yeah. people, like I've already heard people saying well that Everton squad isn't a Bielsa squad but look at the very first Leeds team that he picked mm. and there's players in it where you you recognise the players in it like <laughs> the likes of Luke Ayling or Alioski or Calvin Phillips and he made them Premier League players. Pardon my ignorance here, I can't remember, but did Bielsa get the full off-season with those players or was it mid-season when he arrived? His first game was a, was a 3-1 win at Stoke, so it was during the season. Right. So so he, he can't have an immediate impact? Well, I think whoever comes in, there's obviously going to be a new manager, bounces while Everton are hoping for now their first two fixtures. Well, their first fixture is Arsenal at home, which isn't a great, great one Saturday week. Then a Merseyside derby, which actually isn't as bad as it, it's a trip Could to Anfield been, yeah. it's a trip to Anfield the following week it's a Monday night game but Liverpool are hardly in great form where Everton frustrated them there last season they obviously drew nil all with them this season Everton would be up for that game but Bielsa if if he got it could you, you know the detail he goes into mm. when he researches what kind of squad he's working with and I think the, the talk is that he just wants reassurances of what he can do he, he doesn't want to be losing players like Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon is someone I would classify as a Bielsa player, full of energy and with space can just eat up the ground and is, is a threat on the counter-attacks. So. Okay, so Bielsa, good call if they if they make it fast. If he wants it. Yeah, if, if he wants it. But also, see, if they went down the Sean Dyche route, which is, I mean, polar opposites here, but... That could be a safe option as well. Somebody that knows what it's like to be in. I'd love to see Sean Dice with a bit of money, right? Yeah, his signings I, weren't great, but some of them they were. You know, some of them were really good, and some of them were terrible. Yeah, you just look at the Irish players that he signed. Some of them worked out really well, and some of them didn't. Yeah, well, the, the gas thing is, if he did get the Everton, the Everton job, he's got a few former Burnley players. I joked when they signed the likes of Dwight McNeil and James Har- James Tarkovsky were Everton signing Burnley players just for when Dice comes in. <laughs> get the head of the head yeah, of the well that was last July I tweeted that and he's definitely in the mix Wayne Rooney obviously is another one that. but I don't know if Wayne Rooney needs this he doesn't I, it makes no sense if you're Wayne Rooney this job will come for you at some point mm. so long as you don't absolutely screw up in America but even if you do no one cares really there's such pressure on whoever gets his job just given the the stadium the finance the well Gerald you were asking earlier is, is it an attractive job I'm looking at the, the next manager odds here so Bielsa is now the slight favourite 5-4 to four ahead mm-hmm. of Deitch at 7-4 then you have Marce- Marcelino Garcia Toral who's done good things with Viriana Valencia in the last few years joint third favourite with Big Dunk but it, it strikes me as the type of job now who they could go for Bielsa and Deitch and because nobody really wants the job at the moment, they could end up with a Marcelino or someone to that effect who's maybe third, fourth, fifth down the list. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just not a, a sexy I'd be job. very surprised if, if they didn't get Bielsa and they went or for Deich. Deich. I'd be very surprised if Deich didn't want it. Yeah. Right. 
I think Dyche could. Ever, Everton are a massive club. And yeah. I know you've been talking about earlier that you fall into the trap of thinking because you're such a big club that your your aims should be higher. But for, for now, they just have to make sure that they stay in the division. Mm. And they did it last season. And you thought, right, they can build on it. And things had started okay this season. They were quite hard to beat. But there's only so long you can do that where you become a team that's hard to beat. You have to start picking up points and winning games. And they just weren't winning games. And they, if they you're, didn't look like winning games. If you're Anthony Gordon's agent, what are you doing? Are you saying to the end of the season and then seeing what the story is and, and having your pick of clubs in the summer? Possibly, yeah. I, I, it's, it's tough for a, a local lad as well to, to just walk out on club that he absolutely adores and, and we've seen it before where where they go but where players go but it's uh, it's not it's not that easy just to to get up and uh, and leave and I, I think that would be a, maybe a sensible thing is just see how it goes and you know if you're still in the is his form as good now as it was like is he as in demand you're saying it's hard to stand out in a bad team but is he still the same player or has he come off the ball to the point where people but I think Everton have come off the boil so much that Anthony Gordon's form isn't as good as it was. Okay, would you be worried signing him now for the same price that you were being quoted in the summer? Well, I think the quote, I think the price is way too high anyway. Right, for a guy that was still relatively unproven, okay. you can see there's certain things that he does where you think, yeah, I can see the the potential in this player, and he, in terms of his physique, he still has to fill out a bit. But yeah, he he's an exciting player, mm. and. If Everton had got 60, 70 million for him, I could see why they would have taken it. But Everton need players like Anthony Gordon if they're going to stay up. Okay. Um, Manchester City have signed another young Argentine player for uh, relatively cheap. Um, Maximo Perone from Vélez Sarsfield. This is there's a, another aspect of the business that Man City mm. are doing where they're they're buying the Alvarez's of the world and. Um, they just seem to be a very well-run club at the moment. Yeah, I, I suppose the difference with with Alvarez was we, we kind of knew when he was signed that he was good to go. Perone wouldn't be, you know, he's he's one for the future. He's just gone twenty. Left-footed player in midfield, um, like they have Bernardo Silva in there in that kind of central role. Well, obviously Bernardo Silva can play in a, a lot of roles, but Peroni is more a specialist in that central area, but. A little bit more advanced. He wouldn't be playing in a Rodri role. Um, of the the top teams, maybe we, we can do a special one on Chelsea before the end of the window. Uh, it seems to me that Arsenal have done the best business. They've just gone about stuff. They've picked up Trossard, who's going to be able to have an impact yeah. on that team for a very good price, really. And they've signed the uh, centre-back from Italy, the Polish centre-back, Jakub Kivior. Kivior? Yeah, yeah. And he's a left-footed centre-back as well. I think that's important where, as good as Arsenal have been, I think if you're Arteta, you still have to be looking where can they improve. And I think that is an area, I think Saliba's been excellent. Gabriel has done a really good job, but I think he can upgrade on Gabriel. Mm. And it's very important, even though things are going well, you don't rest in your laurels. And that's the most successful clubs and the most successful teams. They build when they're in the strongest position. And I think actually... Liverpool have been guilty of doing not doing that where when they were on top a couple of seasons ago they didn't build and now they're they're paying the price for it Well Mudrick's going to be probably a very good signing for Chelsea mm. but financially speaking even Thomas Frank the other day speaking about um, how overpriced he was he's like look he's a great player unproven yet to some degree but far too big a price yeah. it, could, it could emerge if you know if Trossard is, is really really good with Arsenal you could Arsenal 
dodged a bullet there financially. Yeah, but you know, like a lot is made of the the finances or the the, the price tag of players, but if they make your team better, the mm. price tag usually goes away quick enough. Mm-hmm. It's really just, it's something that if things don't go well at the start, then the price tag is mentioned. Yeah. And Anthony. Anthony, Darwin Nunes, your, your prime examples there of... Well, the clubs make so much money they can afford a couple of these missteps. It's when, it's actually when you pay too much in wages and that resets the bar and then bad players are on big wages like Manchester United have had for such a long yeah. period of time that that really sets you back in your ability. It's interesting now in the De Gea contract negotiations, he's willing to take a pay cut. Mm. Like, oh, all of a sudden, if you're not paying the most for any goalkeeper in the world, then it doesn't look like a bad deal. Yeah. And if you pay too much in wages, then you can't get them off your wage bill because they don't want to go. Like, and they're stuck. Like, like why, a bad why would I leave? Yeah. Um, uh, on that um, Chelsea, the, uh, one of the papers is reporting today that Chelsea's decision to make all these long contracts, the seven-year deals, which is going to allow them to uh, write off the cost of the transfer fee and squeak in under the financial fair play, that um, UEFA are going to change the rules so you can only write transfers off over five years mm-hmm. so that... They do this in American football where you'll sign a contract worth 100 million, but there'll be a void year at the end. So you spread out that 100 million over five years instead of four, and it doesn't affect your salary cap. And I, I did think that there's going to be a lot of this coming in where, um, you know, contracts are, are given to players and they're like 15, 20 year contracts. You get you get the money over yep. the period of time, same amount of money, but like you've long retired and you're still picking up the salary. Yeah. Nice so retirement fund for you. There's ways to, there's ways and means to get around this, yeah. but um, that's how Chelsea have so far been managing to do all this spending while at the same time trying to get in under financial fair play. There's going to be a fire sale of Chelsea players, though. There's going to be a well, lot that, of those available. That's for what I was going to say, is just try and sell a few players as well and make some money back because they've got such a, a bloated squad now. And there is definitely a few players in there that will interest several clubs around Europe and in the Premier League as well. Any sign of Liverpool signing any midfielders? No. No. Like You signed downhearted there? No, I, I just think that... It's. I find it really strange that in the last four and a half years, Thiago is the only permanent signing they've made. And it goes back to what I just said about not building on the success that they had. And I, I get why Liverpool fans get frustrated with FSG and their, their model. But I don't think you can blame them for Klopp not signing a permanent midfielder, another permanent midfielder in four and a half years. I think he has looked at that midfield and thought, I've got it all sewn up here. We've got Fabinho, who's one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. He's had an absolute shocker of a season. It's mad that all three of them fell off a cliff at the same time. Well, I think Thiago is the only one now that you could call good enough to get into their rival teams. Is he still at the same form as he was over the... the I, I think if... The thing is... It's hard to tell. If you had a more functional midfield then Thiago would look even better Okay, but he's going around he's the one putting in tackles he wasn't signed to do that now he's always had that ability to press and people think that because he's so good on the ball that he doesn't like the other side of the game couldn't be further from the truth when he arrived at Liverpool actually there was especially when there was the behind closed door games you could hear Jordan Henderson shouting at him like just stop going in for all these tackles just relax Uh, but they, they need the thing is they sign a few players in midfield and then they look good again I think I can understand why Liverpool fans would be very frustrated with how the season's going but like last season they bounced back from the previous season where it didn't go according to plan and 
the Bundesliga came back at the weekend and there's Jude Bellingham scores on the return there sets up the winner for Gio Reyna and like you think what a player like that would the difference he would make whether he we now we know obviously if if it comes down to money Jude Bellingham's not going to Liverpool but if it comes down to him wanting to play for Jurgen Klopp and, and Liverpool then the money thing isn't an issue yeah we'll see um, no Champions League football probably next year to uh, to distract them maybe not even any Europa League football next year the way things are going the way things are going yeah. not even Conference League yeah. <laughs> right that is this version with a week to go in the transfer window of Deal or No Deal Hi right Maddie Taylor I can see him getting his car I've decided to go to Bolton I'm waving him going out the car park. just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation they just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line Right, thanks Phil. Uh, we're back tomorrow morning with Irish journalist Catherine Murphy live from Melbourne at the Australian Open. We'll have more on the Glenn Kilmacud story which isn't going anywhere. Is there anything you want to get off your chest about that? Are you keeping the head down, stum? As a dog. Winner, 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 chicken dinner. <laughs> Obviously, Croaks have been my club and I can remember working in the bar years ago in the, in the club and I just thought on Sunday, I thought, my God, I'm glad I'm not working behind the bar. <laughs> it, it would have gone from the, you know, the, the elation of the, the win and then a lot more chat about it and, yeah. I wonder like, if the elation did stop on the first night. I'd say they were like, yeah, this is going to go away. Party on. I think you get to a certain point of the night where... Certain things just go away anyway. Yeah. <laughs> OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.